Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Jamie Owens, grew up and started skating in the 80s in Florence, South Carolina. After studying art and photography for a few years, he moved to California in 1999 and started working in skateboarding media. He spent the next two decades working between two iconic magazines, Skateboarder and Transworld. Since 2022, Jamie has embarked on a new journey and launched a new print skateboarding magazine called Closer. Issue number four is coming out as we speak, and the future is looking bright. So here's my conversation with Jamie. I hope you'll enjoy it. actually um guest number 50 so oh awesome yeah yeah that's that's sick yeah i'm super stoked uh, to finally do this interview with you well you've been steadily putting out a lot of interviews man you're putting in a lot of hard work so congrats on 50 thank you thank you yeah it's been fun so far it's been two years exactly that i've started yeah but yeah so we're not here to talk about me we're here to talk about <laughs> you i have a lot of questions for you oh lord <laughs> i'll try to do good yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll do great. But uh, but yeah, I usually start the same way with, with every guest and basically ask, you know, the guests uh, how he or she started skating. And so I know that you grew up in South Carolina. I think it's either in Florence or right next to it. And so, yeah, can you tell me about what year and how you started skating? Yeah, it's the I started skating probably in 84, 85. And it's what I, I think I said this before. It's like the classic story. It's always a friend or a brother yeah. is the uh, setup for a lot of those. But it was a friend. One of my best friends got a Jeff Phillips skateboard. We kind of played on banana boards before that. But seeing an actual professional 80s style skateboard was like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. And so um, just seeing that, thought it was cool and just dove right in. And then my mom, one of the other neighborhood kids had a town and country skateboard. My mom paid a check of 40 bucks for it and I got my first skateboard. So, and I've been hooked ever since. So yeah, it was just a classic riding in the driveway, getting these nice cool skateboards and just skating back and forth in the driveway and like trying to go down the uh, driveway and turn around was like the biggest thing in the world at that time. I remember (laughs) that was the first thing that felt hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course we built the ramps in the backyard and jump ramps and stuff. So I have the quintessential 80s kid skating. Did the BMX before that, but I totally fell in love with skateboarding right then. And so I think on the Nine Club, I I don't remember if you said that over there or maybe in some other interview, but I think you said that Video Days was one of your favorite videos of all time. But that was a bit later. I think it was 92, around there, maybe 91, 93. 91, yeah. Right, right. But yeah, do you remember maybe like the first skate video you watched and the first magazine that you, uh, you know, put your hands on? For sure. The first video was Future Primitive. Okay. And that blew me away because, of course, when you started skating, we didn't really know about skate magazines or skate videos. Most of the, we were in the BMX before skating, right? So I would look at Freestyling Magazine, which was like a big time BMX magazine. Uh-huh. And so they would have skate advertisings in the back. I remember like Jeff Kendall, Santa Cruz ads. Those were like the first ones I pulled out and put on my wall. So I wasn't aware of, you know, Transworld or Thrasher at that time mm-hmm. when I first started. And I wasn't aware of skate videos, of course. And then the kid in the neighborhood, the kid that like wasn't even one of the, like a skater or whatever, but he kind of like skated, had right. Future Primitive. And he's like, I got a skate video, come in. And I remember us all piling into his house and just was like, whole, I think that changed 
just made it so much cooler. You know, you saw the culture, like that thing just represented skateboarding and showed the best skaters in the world, you know, right then and there. So Mm -hmm. that was definitely a groundbreaking moment of seeing that and just being like, holy crap, this is awesome. This is so cool. The music, the clothes, just the whole culture of skateboarding was so awesome. Mm. And then, so that was what, 85 when Future Primitive came out. And I feel like I didn't see a skate magazine for a long time after that until my older sister came home one day and was like, and handed me a trans world. Like, hey, I saw this skate magazine at the grocery store. I thought you might like it. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? What is that? And so I was like, holy crap, a whole magazine dedicated to skateboarding. And so from there on, you know, ripping off all the, the uh, pages and putting them on the wall and stuff. Right. But yeah, it took a while. Yeah, it was like a gap between knowing that there was like media of skateboarding out there and finally getting my hands on it. So it was cool. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, at that time when you were discovering skate media and skate videos, were you kind of already thinking I might want to do this sometime in the future when I'm when I'm older? I definitely did not think that at that time because I definitely probably had the, I want to be pro. I want to like get sponsored, you know, so that comes first. You you want to like get all the free product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be in the videos, you want to be in the magazines. But um, so that came that came much later as far as okay. like getting into photography and uh, kind of wanting to get in the industry. So at the beginning, it was definitely just you wanted to get sponsored and just get free stuff. You wanted to be a part of that whole world. Mm-hmm. But it felt so far away. Like I've said before, too, um, growing up in rural South Carolina, like California and New York, all those just felt like a million miles away. You felt like you yeah. were like so far away from it. So it just felt like a land of magic that you wanted to go be a part of right get out there and be a part of it in some fashion so you studied at university in in florence uh you studied like art and photography i think um so did you have kind of a a vision for what you wanted to do as you said you were like skating a lot and probably aspiring to get sponsored turn pro maybe one day or something but uh were you already kind of thinking like if this doesn't work out maybe i can find a job in skateboarding media in a a magazine of some sort or become a filmer or something Yeah, so early on, I realized I wasn't professional level skateboarding real early on. So I was just doing it for the love and just love everything about skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And kind of just went through high school, just skating, being in the punk rock, skating, got into college, kind of still didn't know my direction in life. I was like, I knew I loved art. I knew I loved photography. And so I stuck around in my hometown and went to Francis Marion University in Florence. And, um, you know, it's not a big school and their art program is like two painting classes, two or three photography classes and drawing classes. Yeah. But I, I majored in that because I, I knew I wanted, you know, I didn't really think I'd be able to get a job in the mm-hmm. art world or media world. But I was like, I'm, this is what I love. I want to do this and I'll figure out. I talk about too, I've said, um, my dad was paying for my college and he was kind of like, what are you doing? What are you going to do with this degree? Like, oh, right. Yeah. And it kind of like weighed on me. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was like, I don't know. I don't know, dad. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. Like just kept putting off growing up yeah. and being responsible <laughs> and becoming an adult. So I didn't really have a clue. I just knew I wanted to do art and photography. And once I got into school and was doing that, I was like, maybe I'll be a photography teacher. Maybe I'll go after college, go get a master's in photography and maybe become a photography teacher at a school or a college or something. So that was kind of far in my back of my mind of like where I would go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I worked at a record store through the mid nineties for a long time and was like realizing like I was very responsible and could probably move up the chain there and like run the record store maybe for a while. But 
I didn't have any long-term visions of what I was going to do with my life. I was just kind of living in the moment yeah, and then yeah. figure, you know, maybe there'll, something would pop up. But I knew mm-hmm. kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, I would love to try to get out to California and get into the skate industry somehow. And then after I graduated college, I kind of just worked at the record store. You know, I was just kind of celebrating my like freedom from school. Been in school all my life. So I was just like, I just want to work at the record store and skate. Yeah. And I'll figure out from there. And then I realized I needed to kind of get on with my life and figure out something. So I had talked to a friend, a skate friend of mine that was, we both agreed that we were going to try to go to California and do mm-hmm. something. Try to get work at a warehouse at a skate brand or just go out there and just see what would happen. Okay. And of course, I, I was a photographer, or an aspiring photographer. So I figured I would try to get an internship at a skate mag. So Right, right. And that's eventually what happened. Like you were an intern at a skateboarder before you got the job as the photo editor, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So I once we came out to California and just I had an old uh, elementary school friend that lived in Los Angeles that was mm-hmm. kind of doing the acting thing. So I kind of had some person of contact, even though he was not connected to the skate world at all. But I just had some point of contact of feeling like I had a place to go and like know somebody that knew their way around and could help us get set yeah. up with an apartment and stuff. Right, so, right. Yeah. So I did that. And then just what's funny is Skateboarder was the only skate mag at the time that had email addresses in the like masthead. That's right. I remember you told the story. uh, You wrote to Aaron Mesa, right? You wrote him with the future primitive code or something. Exactly. So see that like that all ties back like that was my first video. That line was like our favorite line from the video. And so somehow I was like, I got to grab his attention. So I put that in the subject line. And uh, it, <laughs> that was, it that was a good move. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It worked. <laughs> yeah. So like that was the only mag that had email addresses. So I would have tried Transworld or any of the other mags in SoCal at the time, Big Brother or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, Aaron Mays' email was at the top of the list. So it was pretty easy to get in contact with him. So that was like in, uh, I think, 99 or 2000, right, that you moved to California? Yeah, so that was the end of 99. So one thing to kind of, I don't know if I mentioned this, like my dad passed away in March of 99. Oh, okay. So that kind of helped, you know, make me get a jump start on like getting my life together, figuring out my life. So he passed away from cancer in March of 99. Uh-huh. And I um, I figured I have to figure out my life. I got to get it going. So I was like, if I'm going to do this and try to do the California thing, I have to do this now. Yeah. I need to get started. I was like 24 years old. about. I was, And so that was kind of the catalyst of like giving it a shot. And I was like, I'll go and try. If I don't make it, I'll come back and try to go to um, get a master's in photography at right, yeah. University of South Carolina. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah so that was kind of like that was a very strong motivation to kind of like take a chance sure yeah yeah absolutely yeah and so you moved you moved out to california and and like how soon did you like connect with mesa and and skateboarder and everything how long did it take you (laughs) that first year i moved to california was insane so i moved i think we got to los angeles in like around halloween of Mm -hmm. 1999 i remember we went to santa monica had like a big festival they closed off the street so i remember that so we were in california los angeles halloween 99 and i think i'd sent the email maybe in november and so i was at skateboarder offices maybe by december of 99 meeting aaron and kind of hanging out because i remember going so it was december because they had a christmas party like a big company christmas party up in la so i remember i had already been to skateboarder before then and then went and hung out with everybody and i think that's where i first met mike ballard was at the christmas party Okay. And they, what was cool is he had like a mock-up of Arto Sari's cover of Skateboarder. Okay. 
which was supposed to be a front side board slide down like the uh, apartment building two story handrail, which Sturt shot the photo and um, pulled it last second or something. So they ha- he gave it to Rusty for a Rusty ad. And so okay. the Sturt had to give him another photo for a cover. And it was like Arto's crook on the um, picnic table that was wedged in the ditch. Okay. Drop thing or whatever. So I just remember like meeting Ballard, meeting Mike Ballard at the uh, Christmas party. And Mazo was like, yeah, this is Jamie, our intern or whatever. And he was like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, yeah, he lived kind of close to me in L.A. And was like, yeah, you can come with me and get in the car and take you on photo shoots. And you can help me out whatever way you can. And I'll teach you photography. And I was like, all right, cool. Cool. So yeah. it was super easy. Like Mazo was super easy to deal with. And just like the first time I met him, he came and met me in the office and just had a big smile on his face made me feel comfortable and when i met ballard he was super nice just everybody was super inviting yeah and welcoming like, and uh... welcoming and everything and i was like wow this is crazy like everybody's so fucking cool this is awesome so it only took like a month and a half two months for me to get in to skateboarder which was mind-blowing thinking back of how quickly that happened yeah 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 stars aligned i guess yeah it's uh, yeah for sure so all those guys they all lived in los angeles but the skateboarder offices were in dana point which was an hour south of la where the surfer magazine headquarters were because it was a part of that company and that was one thing too is like they were looking for an intern to help and i had a car and i didn't have anything else to do so it was easy for me to drive an hour south and go to the office and help out and stuff so Mm -hmm. it just worked out and then we all lived in la so i was able to hang out with them and see them and then go to the office so that's you getting involved with the skateboarder and was that around that same time as well that you connected with the jackass crew and started filming with them or was that maybe a year or two afterwards no that came quick too so the internship at skateboarder was mainly just riding around with mike ballard as he went and shot photos and did stuff for the magazine because i only went to the office a handful of times to like scan photos and help organize stuff Mm-hmm. The majority of the internship was being in the passenger seat or the back seat of Mike Ballard's car. And so all through what we did, the America pit, I helped them build the America pit, which is like a big article where we built all these ramps and took them to this abandoned lot on Wilshire Boulevard and got the whole soul technology team, oh. all the America etnies, everybody came and skated. So that was insane. So that was like February of 2000. So I've only been in California four or five months Yeah, and already like getting to be a part of this big production where Ed Templeton, Donnie Barley, Rick McCrink, all these guys are like all around me. And I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Getting to be a part of that. So those are the kind of things I was helping Ballard with through those mm-hmm. early months. And I think around April or May, Ballard hit me up and was like, hey, I'm going to go help Jeff Tremaine and these guys film some stuff for a TV show. They're trying to make a Big Brother TV show. You want to come and help? Because I had a minivan at the time, so I had a lot of room to carry Oh, that's people. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> minivan. And so, um, yeah, so it was only May. And the first day we went out with the Jackass crew, we were hanging out, filming stuff. And I was just kind of hanging out, driving. And... um. Yeah, Ballard had an argument with Jeff Tremaine and left and Tremaine. Oh, right. And yeah. I think I took over the camera that day and helped film. But I just remember Jeff being like, hey, like we still need help. If you want to help, you know, yeah. you can come and meet us on the weekends and film. And I was like, yeah, I got nothing to do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this was the very beginning of uh, Jackass, right? Yeah, so this is when we're still trying to film. I think they had already gotten the deal for MTV, okay. sold the pilot. So I think I, w- I think when I came in, I was helping to film the first season. But did you know what it was, kind of? Or did you just, you were just thrown in there and you were like, I don't know these guys. I don't know what I'm filming, basically. Or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So I knew Big Brother, you know, I knew the Big Brother videos. And, you know, I I was aware that they tried to sell like a TV show kind of based off all the skits and stuff they did in the Big Brothers. But I was terrified to meet them and terrified to be around them because as much as those videos were amazing, they looked like they could be assholes. (laughs) They they would like slap, especially for an outsider. I felt like if I'm an outsider, they're going to be mean to me, make fun (laughs) of me, kick me in the nuts, whatever. Um, And it turned out they were, every single person was completely opposite. Jeff Tremaine's a sweetheart. Dimitri's a sweetheart. Johnny Knoxville's a sweetheart. Rick Cott, they're all so nice. And they're not, they're not mean. They're not mean to anyone. They just like to mess with each other. And if you're part of that crew, then you're part of the crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd filmed before, like filmed skating and stuff. And, but I think Jeff Tremaine really liked the uh, raw, shitty filming (laughs) that we provided. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that added to the uh, character of the show of just being yeah. super shaky, whatever, like not knowing how to film. But it was sure. pretty easy. You just locked off on the stuff. Um, yeah. So it, like it kind of, I kind of learned on the job. Right. But they liked the rawness of just a whole bunch of skaters that don't know what the fuck you're doing making a TV show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, exactly. And so we just went through the summer filming nonstop and then going out to Pennsylvania with Bam and Ryan Dunn and that whole crew and like just dropped straight into that, filmed those guys, went to Florida. We met Steve-O, mm-hmm. filmed him. He just posted on his uh, Instagram, like, hey, this is the first thing we ever filmed at Jackass. And it was him swallowing a goldfish and then like throwing it back up while oh. still alive. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and it was so crazy. He just posted that. And I was like, I filmed that. That's so crazy. Like that was in the corner of a parking lot, just the end of the day, just like he needs to do a skit or something. So he just randomly did this trick that he never did. Wow. And it's like, that's on, that's made it to TV. Everything about that show was just like, I can't believe they're putting this on TV. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just a bunch of crazy. dumb skater. <laughs> so I can't believe the world. Yeah. They like got paid and made millions of dollars off doing yeah. the crazy shit. It is pretty crazy, especially that it's still going somewhat. Like they're still doing movies and it's still successful and everything. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not. It's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's bonkers to be like, I was part of that whole ground floor of that whole experience yeah. and yeah 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 you witnessed it uh like developing yeah for sure yeah it was super cool do you remember like what would be like the gnarliest thing you um you filmed or that like you witnessed uh during your time over there yes you have a memory that sticks out or yes i feel like the gnarliest thing filmed was ryan dunn so when we flew to pennsylvania mm-hmm. got off the airplane drove straight to westchester met up with bam and ryan dunn we put our bags down and are like, all right, let's go. We're going to go film a skit. The mm-hmm. first thing we filmed, the first time we met Ryan Dunn, and then we go to a sewage plant and he jumps, he gets in, oh. he gets naked pretty much with that and jumps in the sewer, the like the sewage. I remember seeing that. Yeah. And you, you're just filming and you're just like, everything's just going and you're just, everything's normal. Like, do we know what's down there? Is there like a big churner that's going to be like, is he going to get chopped up? Like, what is yeah. going on? <laughs> That was bonkers, like, but it was like normal, like, oh, we're just doing something crazy, ha ha. And then when you think about it, you're like, holy shit, that is insane. That is yeah. so fucking yeah. gross and insane. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, he didn't take a shower after he got out. So the rest of that evening, he didn't take a shower. He was oh fucking. He just like wiped off with like a towel. And oh my god, he went and sat. <laughs> we went to Bam's house and ate dinner. And he came and ate, sat down and at dinner, like still smelling like shit. And so. <laughs> Uh, April made him go wow. sit at, sit at a table by himself out by the street. And so there's a clip, I think, in the like credits of him eating at a, like a little kid's table out by the street. And we're throwing footballs at him while he's trying to eat and his food explodes. Wow. So, yeah. 
So I think oh that God. that was an introduction <laughs> to just like, holy crap, this is insane. Like, this is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that definitely was probably one of I the crazy. I watching that. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty, pretty crazy, yeah. Super gross. So to bring it back to like skateboarder and everything, like, uh, so you were, you were kind of doing both things uh, at that time, interning at skateboarder and slowly, you know, getting more and more responsibilities over there. Mm-hmm. And you were filming for Jackass on the side. And I think you said on the Nine Club that um, Meza was basically kind of uh, blocking you from going there too much to help out on, on <laughs> Jackass or something. So like, how long did that, uh, how long did you kind of run those two things separately? That was pretty quick. So what, May of 2000, I started filming with Jackass, filmed the whole first season all through the summer of 2000 and into the fall. Mm-hmm. And then around October is when Meza and Ballard and everybody, Ballard was leaving skateboarder. He was leaving as the photo editor. So they needed to fill that slot with someone. And Meza wanted to hire me or they all agreed they wanted to just bring me in because they just needed someone that was in the office that can kind of help around and just help do anything and everything. Okay. So it was more, I got the title of photo editor, but I was mainly just like a paid intern. Like I could do whatever they needed because Meza, Meza was still the photo editor. He was still picking the photos and right, right. Yeah. You know, but I would send them out to get scanned. I was doing all the grunt work to do that. So when I started in October or when they offered me the job, I was like, hell yes. I want to work at escape magazine. Yes, yes, yes. Jackass. I was like, this is cool, but this is never going to last. This won't last. I've seen TV shows come and go. This won't last. Yeah. Skateboarder is the way to go. <laughs> Boy, you know, 20 years later, they're still making movies. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember Tremaine was like, he goes, what are they offering? I feel like I remember him saying, you sure you don't want to stay? I can like match what they're paying you or pay you more or whatever. And I was like, no, nah, it's okay. I, I'll still come and help you guys film when I can, if you guys are cool with that. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And so when I went to skateboarder, those early days of skateboarder, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what I needed to do. So there was a lot of time just sitting, twiddling my thumbs waiting for something to do mm-hmm. and so there were a few times that uh, jackass office would call and say hey we're going to go film something today can you come and i would be able to go film a few things here and there but a lot of it was like maze is like you know i just want you around the office i don't want you to yeah maybe just yeah. not getting getting caught up and swept back away into that because i had a responsibility at skateboarder so right I poke fun at him for like not letting me go or whatever, like a mean dad or something. Like, nope, you can't go out with your friends today. Like, nope, you got to stay home and clean up here. So that was kind of the vibe. So I slowly, so the second season of Jackass, I helped film a little bit of that, but obviously slowly they were growing and they were able to hire more help yeah. and me not being able to go out and help as much or whatever. I kind of just slowly faded out of like going out with them a lot, but mm-hmm. they have like a tight knit crew. So I was always like welcome to kind of be a part of it. And since I was there, for the early days I could kind of like go see him or like I think the first movie they made I was like Jeff I want to film something for the movie or whatever so the first movie I got to film like two skits be okay. like a oh, nice. camera B or whatever for like two skits and then um, yeah from there you know just skateboarder started getting more busy work or whatever and stuff so that became my main priority with skateboarder mm-hmm. But I was excited. Like, I never regretted leaving Jackass because it was, like, an amazing experience. But I knew, I knew my heart was skateboarding. I wanted well, yeah, to do something exactly. like skateboarding. Jackass was just a bonus. That was, like, a bonus magical fairy tale storyline to add to the, like, skateboarder magazine storyline. Right, line. yeah. It was a fun, like, side gig uh, while you were focusing on skateboarding through skateboarder. Exactly. Yeah. And that was all within a year. What's crazy is like, yeah, you know, I've yeah. told you 99 Halloween and by October of the following year, I'd worked at Jackass, left Jackass, started at Skateboarder. I met my wife-to-be right before I started at Skateboarder. So it was like that first year in California was 
Highly productive. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> Highly productive. Like, yeah, that was so crazy. I still trip out on it. Like, I, I constantly can think back and go, wow, that was, that's pretty wild, man. Yeah, <laughs> wild it, is. Ride. it is. Yeah, it was all meant to happen. So tell me about like the following years at Skateboarder, because then you moved to Transworld, but that was a few years later, I think in 20, what, 13, maybe? 13, yeah. Right. So you were a Skateboarder for like 12 years, more or less, something like that? Yeah. And uh, I think you stayed until the very, very end, actually, of uh, Skateboarder. Yeah. And I was curious to know, because you must have seen it coming, sort of, you know, like the end of the magazine and everything. You probably saw a lot of people leaving ship, you know, like uh, Maze that went to Crail Tap. Some of your colleagues must have gone to Transworld or other skate media or something. Yeah. What made you kind of stick around till the very, very end? Like, why, why didn't you jump ship earlier? Yeah, so... So Mesa left like in 2004, around that time he left. So we've been dealing with at Skateboarder, like it was always a struggle. Like he, like right when I first came in, there was a lot of money in skating. There was like tons of revenue, mm-hmm. not a lot of stress on us as a mag, but it's even in the early 2000s, it was, you know, a lot of the advertising sales were kind of going down because, and so they put pressure on you. Like, how are you guys going to be different? We need to get brands excited about the magazine. So yeah. there was a lot of pressure on us from above to like do something different make a kids magazine i don't know like there's like five magazines out like what how are you guys different you're like oh my god like so insane mm. anyway i think a lot of that added a lot of pressure on us and so Mesa was finally like over having to deal with it and so he went back to krill tap oliver barton and mike o'mealy had went to trans world okay. and this is all around the time too when the skateboard mag started so skateboard mag you know all those guys left trans world and so there was a huge hole at trans world and so mm-hmm. they got some of our photographers went over there so it was a big shifting of like who was where blah 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 and i remember us sitting and kind of meeting about when Mesa was like i'm probably gonna leave what do you got you know what are we gonna do like i was like i don't have anything else to do i'll ride it out i'll ride the magazine out this is dream job so i'll just figure it out and i'll help I had learned how to like the magazine had run and operated all the way up until that point. So Mesa and all those guys left. Mackenzie left. And so it was just, seriously for a few issues. It was just me and Donnie Miller, an art director. So just two people at Skateboarder trying to like feel like making the magazine from start to finish. And we still had like Brian Gaberman and Ben Colin as photographers on staff and still working with a bunch of contributing photographers, John mm-hmm. Bradford. And, and so I, I was like, I knew how the magazine ran. I knew how to get it all to production and everything so i just kind of stayed there because i didn't know what else i was going to do so i was like i'll write it out so i held it together until they were able to um you know hire more people to come in and get it stabilized and so from there it felt pretty stable for a few years but even then our bosses at skateboarder there was just always turmoil or uh like stress from above for uh-huh. years at skateboarder like so for a long time i was like i don't know is this our last issue like even in like 2007 2008 Already? Wow. Yeah, already. Like, because even when Mesa and those guys left, that was like the first sign of like, this mag is a kind of an outsider mag. It's not one of the big Thrasher trans yeah. world. So it's like... How long is this going to last? And Yeah, how long is it going to last? It's a good magazine. People respected it. It's just the money wasn't fully there or whatever. And then... Uh-huh. So I remember like even in 2007, 8, 9 maybe, things were tough with our bosses at that time. And I was like trying to get out. I was hitting up Jeff Tremaine every month going, hey, can I come back to Jackass? Is there anything there? Like I'm kind of going crazy here. Like I don't know how long this is going to last. And so I was like seriously stressing out and like, I don't want to be here. It's just like really tough. But, you know, he was always like, man, we don't have anything right now. Like we're kind of in between projects. And so he was always taking my calls and just letting me know 
like if there ever is anything come up, I can't yeah. possibly. But I was I was already moved. I lived in Dana Point, which is an hour right. south of LA, so I wasn't really able. Even if he'd said, "Yeah, you can come work," I'd be like, "Oh God, I got to commute back to LA or whatever." Right, right, yeah. So it was kind of tough for a few years, but we held it together and just wanted to make a cool magazine. Mm-hmm. And the whole time was just like, well, if we're going to be here, maybe one day it's going to get better. Maybe one day it'll get better. And so that's why like, I stuck it out all the way to the very end, even knowing, because that's when you, we went bi-monthly and did the oversized magazine, like in 2010, 11, that was like a reaction of like, how do we make the mag different? How do we make people excited about the mag? So we had to change it up and make the format different mm-hmm. and go bi-monthly. And those are some of the my favorite magazines we made at Skateboarder because being bi-monthly every two months instead of of a monthly magazine gives you a little bit more time to breathe. You can exactly, like try yeah. to work on stuff and make a better product. So mm. I was super excited about those issues of skateboarder that we did. And then, you know, that was only like two years, two and a half years. And then they came back again, like, uh-oh, like things are bad. Like the advertising revenue's down. We got to switch it up again. And then they fully made us like, we got to go digital. This is the future. Oh, Tablets, right. you know? Yeah. So the last three issues of skateboarder were digital first. And then we we still made a print, a super nice print copy of those issues, but we were digital first. And we had to like totally change our mindset of how to make magazines because we're thinking digital first. Like if we shoot a portrait of someone, how do we animate it? This is the early days of GIFs or whatever. It's like, well, we should shoot like a sequence portrait of people so that you can make it animate on the digital version. Uh And this is when you're trying to think of, so you're trying to think of like content for the magazine but you also had to think well how do we we got to incorporate video links now you got to like yeah. add video content so it would just totally change your thinking of how to make a magazine because we're only thinking digital first and the print mag was a secondary thing it's very stressful very stressful yeah, for sure. and so yeah. but you you were hoping like things like it was cool like it was exciting and fun but it was just very you get yourself in that mindset and then one day they're like hey our company just bought Transworld we bought all, right. all the Transworld magazines and all the properties over there and we're going and you're like uh oh they have like a surf magazine we already have two surf magazines over here they're bringing in transworld surf we have skateboarder they're going to bring in transworld skate that's a lot of duplication so they're going to get rid yeah. of some of these things like, oh shit and then one of the transworld editor kevin duffel had recently left transworld so there was an empty spot there Mm-hmm. So my boss was like, hey, we're probably going to shut down Skateboarder, but there's an opportunity for you to go to Transworld if you want to try out for that job or whatever. It's like under the same company and everything. And I was like, well, I love Skateboarder. This is where my heart and soul and all this hard yeah. work I've put into it through these all these years or whatever. Yeah. I'd rather you guys, I'd rather you guys keep Skateboarder. We can yeah. make it cool now that you, if you're buying other companies, there should be some money to keep this thing going. But right, yeah. either way, yeah. So they shut it down. They were like, nope, we're shutting it down. And I was like, shit, well, I'm going to go try for the job at Transworld. And so I got the editor-in-chief job at Transworld Mm -hmm. while I was still kind of at Skateboarder. So there was never any, like, break. I was never kind of, like, jobless or whatever. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, I was never unemployed. So, like, even when they shut down Skateboarder, we still got, like, severance pay for, like, two or three months. But even by the time that ended, I was already started at Transworld. But that was such a wild experience because, like I was saying, we went bi-monthly years before that. Mm-hmm. And so I was in a mindset of like every other month. And then obviously the last like six months to a year of skateboarding.
Florida was digital. So my mind was like, how do we make digital magazines doing all this? And then boom, I went straight back to a monthly print magazine at Transworld. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was a super gnarly, like slap in the face of like, oh my God, I got to like rethink magazines again. I got to go back to the grind of every month putting out a magazine. Yeah. And they, they seriously were like, can you try to do the digital skateboarder stuff with Transworld? And I was like, no, are you <laughs> fucking kidding? I was like, these things are monthly. Like there's no way to think yeah. digital content. And so I just shut that down completely of like even trying to attempt to do anything digital. I was like, this is a big time print magazine, making magazines every month. Just got to do that. So, but I was like super honored. Like I didn't want to go to Transworld at first because I was so in love with skateboarder and just always was that outside magazine. But once I yeah. got to Transworld and realized like this is the first magazine I ever had, like the history of this brand is amazing. Like it felt really cool and I was like honored to be a part of it and try to help steer it back into like whatever you know try to get it going again like trying to like save it too mm -hmm. so how long did you work at Transworld it was until not that long ago right until right after COVID or something after COVID yeah started? so I was let go at Transworld in January of 21 so I was there for seven years so I was there for a while and then they stopped And we got bought by another company in 2019. They stopped printing all the magazines. Yeah, a couple of years before you left, right? Yeah. And so we mainly were just like, what do we do now? And so right at that time, we were making a Day One song documentary. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a cool thing. Kind of like we were making just we were going to make like a small little legend video for the magazine. Like we give out the legend award every year at Transworld. And day one was the legend of that year. And so mm -hmm. we were going to make like a 10 minute video. But since they cut our print and we didn't have pretty much we were supposedly now we were digital again. We got to make digital content videos and all this. We worked with Adidas and just made day one into a feature linked full video because it was just me, Joe Pease and Mike Fitz were still at uh, Transworld. World. So there was like a small staff and we just, and Blair Alley was there, you know, we like didn't, we just focused on that. We focused on making day one video. And then after that, we started getting pressure again. You know, you're just kind of feeling like, oh, crazy. Like, what are we doing? Like, what is, holy crap, this is sucks. You know, and then yeah. you got somebody, bosses saying, you got to make weekly YouTube content. You know, it's just like, oh God. So the last few years at Transworld were pretty rough. And like, it, and yeah. then of course COVID hit. And then our last hoorah was like a skate and create. We finally got skate and create going again. Oh, Oh, yeah. out in the mm -hmm. streets with like birdhouse and a few other brands and so that was like an insane thing to try to pull off during covid even mm -hmm. out in the world like you know we were going to try to do it in the warehouse covid hit had to take it to the streets and we're able to pull it off but that was like the last thing i was a part of there and then after that is when they let everybody go besides like one person at each of the brands to um keep those brands kind of pumping on social media and the website and stuff yeah yeah And so you were telling me before that a couple of years before you joined Transworld, you were kind of focusing on a more digital side of uh, doing a magazine. But mm -hmm. eventually when you went to Transworld, you focused back to like doing a print magazine and a monthly magazine. But were there ever like uh, talks, discussions of uh, kind of trying to develop a bit more this digital side of a skateboard magazine? Or was it kind of at what point did they decide like, no, this is maybe not a, a road we want to go down or something like It was pretty quick because even before I got to Transworld, that era, Transworld was already sending out, like they had digital subscriptions to the magazine before I even got there. 
Okay. So people would get a digital copy of the magazine they could look at, and they were trying to incorporate little video content in there, here and there, or whatever. But as soon as I got there, I realized like how insane that was to try to coordinate. Because you're trying to do a website too, right? So you're trying to do a print magazine every month, and you're trying to build a, a website with content that has like weekly, daily content on it. Yeah. And then on top of that, trying to make a the digital version of the magazine have exclusive content to that was just like just too much. It was like too much to think about yeah. and so i quickly was like i'm not doing it like I, I can't do it and so you know things just kept moving along and they seriously just didn't bother asking anymore or push us to do that because it was more like we'll get the website you know do more content video wise on the site and stuff yeah and also social media started i think instagram started yeah. in what 2012 so that was another like thing you needed to deal with exactly did you do an instagram for transworld straight away or did it take a few years before you started that yeah, they had it when once I got there, Instagram was going by that time. And so, yeah, and that that's definitely another factor of I forgot about it was like the social media explosion at that time. So, yeah, the whole digital magazine and realizing people. Yeah, everybody's eyeballs were going to social media. So you had to focus on the website, social media and print. So mm-hmm. it was just a lot of avenues. And that's the thing, too, right? You're adding all of this additional work and additional ways of outputting content, but not hiring additional people you're still the same staff yeah that was making a print mag right for all these years yeah. and maybe you know doing a little bit of website stuff and then the website grows and you got to hire more videographers and stuff and you try to do that and all of a sudden now social media you got to do stuff specifically for that but we're not hiring any new people and you're like so everybody's yeah. wearing more than one hat and it's just it starts being draining burning everyone out and yeah so. yeah exactly burning them out i mean you're yeah. still like stoked that you're working in skateboarding and you know but it is a reality of just being burnt out with like so much work and so much stress of trying to like the rat race exactly yeah yeah yeah. and also we yeah. didn't mention but transfer was doing for a long time all the videos which were like once a year i think or something like that yeah it was like around a year yeah so yeah but uh i mean there was all these different like uh platforms or things that you needed to provide content for so yeah yeah i mean i can imagine it being extremely stressful yeah yeah, especially those early days of the like early 2000s trans world, like they were like the mag was like 400 pages, yeah. you know, so there was a lot of money in skating at that time. So they were able to hire a bunch of like people to help run that and through the years. It just slowly dwindled, 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 mm, but still yeah. needing to create the same amount of content, if not more, <laughs> but with less people. How do you make that work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so you left Transworld in January 2021, so more or less a year after COVID started. When you left, uh, did you have kind of an idea of what you were going to do? Or were you already thinking of uh, launching a magazine or did that uh, idea come about a bit later? Yeah, so the idea of the magazine came a little bit later. Like after I got let go from Transworld, I seriously just wanted to take a break. Like I was saying, like the last few years were super stressful with just trying to deal with making something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I seriously, and I was like, I've been working in the industry for 20 years of deadlines and like insane pressure to kind of like perform and make these things, trying to reinvent the wheel. It was always feeling yeah. like it's skateboarding. You make skate videos, you do interviews, you do cool articles, but you always felt like they were trying to make you and brands or whatever were trying to make you reinvent the wheel and do something super crazy and different and wild. And you're like, what well, is skateboarding? So like, <laughs> I just needed a break. I was like, I just want to take a break. I want to, you get a severance, you know, and like, yep. 
It's like, all right, I'm going to take some time. I just want to skate and uh, figure out the next move. I, I was like, I'll, I'll, you know, figure out, I'll go work for a shoe brand. I'll go work somewhere else in skateboarding, maybe, you know, just try to like, because I have a family, you know, it's like, I got to provide yeah. for my family and all that. So I was like, just give me a, tell my wife, like, just give me some time. I just want to take a break mm-hmm. and figure it out. And then, um, yeah, so the mag didn't even hit me right away, but it quickly did. After I looked around for jobs, I saw that there wasn't a lot that I was excited about to mm-hmm. go work for. There weren't a lot of opportunities for one. And then two, the ones that were out there weren't stuff I could like get excited about or like put my heart and soul into. Uh huh. And I feel like someone mentioned doing another mag or my old boss. One of my old bosses at Skateboarder and Transworld is a super good friend and like lives in the same city as me. And we're like still talk. And he's actually one of the people that helped advise me on the starting a new mag. So I met with, I think he might have mentioned I should start a mag or try to get a mag going under his brand or something. Mm-hmm. Like It's so crazy. It's very recent, but the very origins of it are still a little fuzzy. But I remember just being like, all right, I'll do it. I, you know what? I think I should try to start a mag or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I think what what really catapulted that into a reality was Surfer's Journal is a magazine based out of San Clemente, which is like a 30 year old print magazine okay. that uh, has been around and it's always it's outlasted all the other magazines, Surfer Magazine, Surfing Magazine. And they build a whole model of a subscription based print magazine, high quality print magazine. Oh, OK. Interesting. Yeah, so that was the catalyst for all this. So one of the old Surfer Magazine editors that I was friends with at the Skateboarder Days mm-hmm. was the publisher, Brendan. He's the publisher at Surfer's Journal. Okay. And another friend that used to work at Skateboarder, a marketing guy, I saw him at dinner one night. And he was like, hey, they, I work at a Surfer's Journal now. They might be wanting to start a, another brand under the Surfer's Journal, like another magazine. And I was like, dude, I've been thinking about trying to start a skate magazine. What if we did a skate magazine through the Surfer Journal brand or whatever? Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, come come meet with uh, Brendan and see what can happen. And so that was like, all right, I'm doing it. Like, that's I can do it. Like, I'll do it with them. We can make this. Like, let them run all the logistics of this thing, and I'll just do a skate mag through them. Like, that's what I know okay. how to do. That's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> I'm yeah, making yeah. skate mags. Like, I have all this knowledge of how to make magazines. And like, now it's just like useless unless I do it myself. Yeah. 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 And so I, I met with Brendan for the summer of 21, uh, all through the summer, kind of just talking back and forth and figuring out if they were able to do something or if mm-hmm. not. It kind of came to the point of where he was like, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, start another brand. Because this is when inflation was starting to ramp up super gnarly. Mm-hmm. And so their calls started skyrocketing with um, printing and shipping because they get their mag printed in China. And so that whole thing was like super gnarly money was just like crazy through the roof for them. Okay. So he was like, dude, I don't think we can take on another brand here or whatever. But he goes, I believe after meeting and us talking, he's like, I believe you can do this on your own. He goes, I'll help you. I'll give you like whatever you kind of need, like business wise, like business advice. Mm-hmm. You should do it on your own. And I was like, I don't want to do it on my own. I'm scared. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm scared. Like, I don't know how to like do the logistics of this. I've only, you know, somebody else always printed the mag and got it made and did all the advertising sales. Yeah. Yeah. But he built me up and gave me the confidence that I could fucking do it. And then my old boss, Norb, who I was telling you about earlier, like I met with him a bunch and both of those, they were just so supportive and so like, fucking do it. You can do it. Yeah. There's no other like major encouraging and they're like there's only thrasher there's no other major skate magazines and if you do them take the surfers journal model that would be a good model for a skate mag there's like an older audience that would like appreciate a high quality magazine yeah and you can still do new stuff in it sure 
And so that was the catalyst. It was just like, all right. So I just kind of got tossed back into the, like, I'm going to do it. I got to do it. I'll, all right, I'm going to try to do this and just went for it. Mm-hmm. I took another shot. Like, I felt like it was part two of my drive from South Carolina to California into the unknown of like, I'm just going to go try and see what happens. And so this was like another moment where I was like, if it fails, all good. I will go get a job wherever, Starbucks, the grocery store, yeah, whatever, yeah, skate brands. Like, I'll go do whatever it takes, but I'm going to try this like, I'm going to try and see if this works. Yeah. And a year into it, it seems to be working pretty good. And it's like so fucking satisfying and crazy feeling to like take another stab in the dark and see what happens. And it, it feels awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. And congrats to you and everybody who's involved with it. It's a pretty sick uh, endeavor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I look forward to many, many more issues of it. Yeah, thank you. It, like, I feel like when I was saying I took some time off and started skating more. Mm-hmm. I've skated more in the past few years than I have in a very, very long time. And I like, I feel like I fell in love with skateboarding more than I ever have. Because I feel like maybe at the point in my life where I'm getting older and I realize that time is limited. So I want to get in as much as I can. And I thought I was done like a long time ago, body wise. I was like, oh, my body hurts. I was always having back pain. And I was like, oh, this is just being old. It's over. But (laughs) somehow I made it through like a rough patch of my back being bad and skating now and just enjoying general like reflecting on my life and career at that time i was like i love skating this is what i've dedicated my life to Mm -hmm. like why change that course like dive headfirst into this and make my own path and just keep doing skateboarding because that's what i love and i'm fucking well versed in it through the years so yeah for sure and that's why like there's like just so much more i don't know like youthful energy with me with doing the skate mag i'm like this is what i love to do like i want to tell keep telling the story of skateboarding and how awesome it is whether no matter what generation it's in and just offer mm-hmm. another avenue for people to like enjoy skateboarding or be introduced to skateboarding yeah 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 absolutely and it's been incredible to work with so many people that help make it a reality because it's not just me it's like so many people i'm like yeah, so yeah of course thankful for yeah, magazine is uh, is a lot of people involved for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though you're you're like the main guy, but uh, but there's still a lot of people involved. But uh, yeah, just yeah. Uh, just a side question since you just mentioned skating a lot these last few years, and uh, yeah, and it's sick. I love seeing you skate like on, on Instagram and everything, and it's super inspiring. I'm 35, so I'm a bit younger, but I like I have like shitty ankles, my knees are like. <laughs> awful i can barely skate anymore but like when i see you and other like uh i saw that jeremy daclin from film trucks and everything came to california recently and you skated with him yep it's just so motivating to see people like you that are still skating so well so hard like every day pretty much and it's uh yeah i feel like uh, i mean i'm like 15 years younger more or less but i, I, <laughs> yeah. I i'm not even really skating anymore and I see you guys, I'm like, wow, like I have really no excuses. These guys are, you know, and they have busy lives. They have children. They have a lot of yeah. shit going on. And you're still skating hard. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really inspiring. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you was just basically how do, how do you, I guess one secret to keep skating well is obviously to skate a lot, maybe skate very regularly. Yes. But like, do you do other stuff outside of skating to like maintain, like to take care of your body? Like, do you, I assume you must like stretch or maybe you do yoga or stuff like that. Like, what do you do to, you know, keep skating like every day like you do? What's funny is I don't do any stretching. I don't do anything. Like, I only skate. And I use, okay. like, 
My thing is the cardio part of it. I try to escape at least an hour a day, if not more. But every day I'm like, if I get an hour, and I, the hour is nonstop skating. Like right, I don't, right, yeah. When I go to a skate park or go to a skate spot, I don't ever sit down. And I talk to my friends a little bit, but I don't ever want to hang out. I seriously am like on a mission. Like I want to keep my blood circulating. I want to keep my heart going. I want to just keep going. And seriously, like I think about it, it's like I don't, I can drive to LA for an hour, get out the car and just start skating. I don't like stretch or anything. My body's feeling better than it has in years. I probably should stretch or whatever, but my, you know, I still have back pain here and there, but I seriously, yeah, try to do push-ups here and there and try to like stay a little bit fit or whatever, but it's mainly just the constant everyday skating and move moving your body or whatever yeah yeah but yeah. i don't i don't have any routine oh, it's, it's working i mean when, when i <laughs> yeah. see your footage it's definitely working and J- yeah, yeah. me also like he's super inspiring <laughs> like he's still skating i think every day more or less and uh, still skating super well and it's uh that's the motivating factor to me is seeing jeremy like all the like curb crushers up in la yeah even like the tony hawks of the world like yeah. everybody like there's a, just a whole new mentality of like you're not over it like you can keep pushing this as far as you want it so far, like we're seeing like how far like ron allen's 60 he's still out there doing you know skating street and i'm like that is awesome like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. people have pains and stuff and like i just want people to know that maybe you can get over the hump of any like painful stuff you're going through maybe and try to get into a regimen of like working your you know building your body up and just keep going like keep pushing it to see how far you can go it because it's so fun and like the repetition is the key yeah. for sure if you have a park close to you that you can like keep moving, like with transition where you can keep pump, even that little bit, not even doing tricks, just pump mm-hmm. and keep your heart going, you know, maybe that'll help like loosen you up or whatever. It's just, sure. It feels good. That's my whole thing is like, I just want to roll. I just want to stand on my board and roll. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That sensation still is amazing feeling. So. Bring it back to closer. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me, like, about maybe coming up with a name and like pitching it to some of the people that were involved with the first issue. Because uh, we'll talk about the more recent uh, issues, but uh, yeah, how did you come up with the name Closer? And like, yeah, how did you kind of present it to like Eric Swisher and all the other guys that are involved with it? Yeah, so coming up with a name is one of the toughest things to do. For sure. Trying, you, you put together the list of like hundreds of words and phrases or whatever that sound cool. And then you slowly narrow it down to like what is already taken, what's already out there. How can you put a spin on it or whatever? But Joy Division is one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed with the band and just how emotional and raw and like amazing their music and lyrics are and stuff. Yeah. And I just always thought, you know, even Unknown Pleasures album cover is like amazing. And then Closer album cover is like. Oh, that's right. I didn't remember they had. a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so that's yeah, makes sense. where yeah. that came from. And it's like, oh, that, and I was just like closer, just me, you know, I was like, I feel closer to skateboarding than I ever have. I want to bring right. people closer to skateboarding. I was like, it works in that facet. And then I was like, freak it. Like skateboarding photography and filming is based on fisheye photography, you know, like yeah. get close oh, yeah. to the action. So I was like, it works in all those like angles of just getting closer to the action, getting closer to something you love, holding it close. Yeah, yeah. 
And then it kind of, you know, goes back to being a really cool fucking album that I love. So I was like, that would be cool to call it closer and have like a that connection to music and love of just like raw emotion and try to put that same kind of emotion and sincerity into a print magazine yeah. on that level. And so that's where the name came from. And then um, and working with Eric has been amazing. So we've been friends for a super long time, Eric Swisher and I. Yep. Even all the way back at the skateboarder days, I would hit him up about scans and like yep, stuff. Yep. And then when he started doing the interviews, I became a big fan of his, of all the like his skate knowledge and his interviews and everything. And then mm-hmm. we actually became friends for a long time. And then he moved to the San Clemente where I live and we started skating together and hanging out. And he's always been so supportive of what I was doing. I was supportive of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And when I told him I was going to start a mag, he's like, man, you're crazy. You're going to start a print mag? I was like, I don't have <laughs> any other choice. I don't have any other choice. I got to do it. Yeah. He's like, well, if you if you need help, man, I will help you. Like, I'll, I'll do interviews for you, work with you, whatever you need. And I was like, dude, that means so much to me to, like, have you have my back like that. Yeah. And to add your credibility, your, like, knowledge of skateboarding and just everything was super huge. So he was sold on it right away. Like, he didn't. He's like, yeah, I got you. I'm down to help you. And he goes, I would love to be a part of a print mag, you know, because, like, that's what I started doing. I started scanning magazines from my childhood because I love it. So our relationship is great. And he was down. And so, like, I'm, like, so honored to have him working and putting his trust in me and Sammy, our art director, to kind of lay out these giant interviews or whatever and that's the beauty of this magazine is having that you know space to just do a lot of times at skateboarder and trans world days a lot of the articles became advertorials where yeah. brands were always expecting to have, you know, that's the way it turned into it. The early days of skateboarder and we never, like, you didn't work with the advertisers as much. You were stoked to have them in the mag. They were in the mag. You did content that you kind of interviews with skaters and stuff that you wanted to. And slowly through time, you started to have them to coordinate more and more with these brands are advertising. We got to make sure their writers are specifically in the mag in some fashion, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And through the years, it just kind of got a little bit more than it should have been or whatever. So I feel like with this mag, with Closer, I'm able to start it out on a fresh, clean slate of like, if you're advertising in the mag, you're helping to support the vision of the magazine and trusting me that I'm going to make good quality content that your brand's going to be associated with. And Mm -hmm. if your writers are incorporated, that's great. You know, like I want to stoke you guys out and have them in the mag. But so being able to do like super full length interviews with like old skaters that some of them are still sponsored and some of them aren't, you know, like, you know, really in the skate sphere, like. We have Brian Lottie coming up in the next yes. issue. Yeah, he told me, Eric told me he was, he had an interview uh, with Brian for issue number four, right? Yeah, so like, you know, he's not a sponsored skater anymore. Yeah, but he's a legend. He's a, le- he's a, he's yeah. a legend, I mean, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so you we're able to like give space to like, that doesn't necessarily have to do with any sort of advertising, rev- you know, yeah. to it or whatever. It's like, you're just, right. it's really cool to be able to have that freedom to make rad content and like having Eric be a part of that. It's been monumental. It's been huge. Yeah. And so who who are some of the other people that you involved in the project uh, at the very beginning? You mentioned Eric and uh, Sammy. Is Sammy Spiteri, right? Is he the... Yes, Sammy Spiteri. Yeah. Was he involved at the very beginning or did he come in a bit later, maybe? 
Yeah, he came in at the beginning. So Sammy was an intern at um, Snowboarder Magazine when I was at Transworld. And we okay. skated the Transworld part together a few times. Like, hey, what's up, Sammy? Oh, the one in the snowboard. Guys, skates. That's cool. All right, cool. <laughs> and then he interned for like a summer or a while, and then he was gone. And But we started following each other on Instagram, so I still was in touch with him for a few years just through Instagram. And then he worked at DC for a while. And then I think when I fr- initially wanted to do the mag, I hit up Keegan Callahan, the old Transworld art director that I worked with to see if he'd be able to help mm-hmm. get it off the ground. But he was so busy with his new job, he wasn't sure he could commit to it, which I needed someone to be committed to it. Yeah. And somehow I feel like I came across Sammy on Instagram and realized I was like, oh, yeah, Sammy's an art director. Like maybe he could help out. He's young and kind of like fresh and kind of would be stoked to work with it to do a print mag. Right. And so I hit him up. So he was on from the very beginning. He helped me come up with the logo. He helped me like get my original decks built to send out to advertisers. And he's been huge, too. Like he's such an amazing art director and is able. He has a full time job at Huff, which he got hired at Huff, like right as we were about to start working on the first issue oh wow before that he was freelance and i was like oh he's freelance so he'll have time to work on the mag do his freelance project and then all of a sudden it was boom i got a full-time job at huff and i was like oh man is that gonna mess (laughs) it he goes no i got it he goes i got it and i was like okay and he's been crushing it this whole year like he's able to bang out what i send him at night and weekends and put in the hard work and so it's been super cool to work with him and be able to make it like I send him like a rough mock up of the layout of stuff, just as far as like the fo- this photo needs to be full page, this photo is this half page, and then like the person's name just in a basic font, and I send it to him, and then he sends it back all packaged up, beautiful art directed, and I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Like I don't ever have like any kind of tweaks to his art direction. I'm just like, this is yeah. perfect. Like I just you need to him. like tweak. Yeah, I trust him so much, and I just have to tweak the text. You know, we have to go back through and copy edit the text and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been doing a fantastic job, and like crushing it so i'm like again honored to have him on board helping out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then farron farron golding's been killing it yeah he he's got the young eager like he's so ambitious and stuff and it's what i need because i'm like i feel like i'm like an old fogey like slowly he's like should we do stuff on the website i'm like no nah, the website's just to take subscriptions right now let me get the print mag going and he's like well we need to do more digital content youtube stuff and like and i'm like okay 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 pump but and then he does he He's just like a awesome. Like he kills it. He's like an excellent addition to the mag, like a youthful voice that is down to do whatever. He's very professional and just like gets the job done. And it's like so cool to like work with him too. Yeah. How did you connect with him actually? Because I'm not too sure. I don't really know him well. So how old is he? Is he like in his 20s or early 30s or? Yeah, late 20s, I think. I could be way. Yeah, I think he's late 20s, mid 20s. He's young. Yeah. Is he in the UK? Yeah, he's in the UK. He's what's funny is he told me we met in New York one time a few years ago and I don't remember it right offhand or whatever, but yeah, we just connected. I can't even remember how we connected. Like I feel like I told him I was starting a mag and he wanted to contribute. Okay. Yeah, I can't even remember how we like fully met or whatever, but I just knew he offered up helping out right away. And I was like super stoked to have him join in and like with Eric and him helping and then Sammy, like it was just like a all-star team for me to kind of just get started and get it going. Yeah, for sure. Brad people. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I want them to feel ownership of the mag as well. So yeah, it's, it's been great. Like we've all been sharing in it. Yeah.
And so I was wondering, like, how many issues do you get to print? Like, for example, you just printed issue number four. Yeah. For this issue and perhaps for the previous ones, how did you decide, like, how many you were going to print? Oh, yeah. Do you print exactly the number depending on, like, the subscriptions? Or do you print a bit extra in case there are others coming in? How do you deal with, like, quantity and prints? Like, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, the, the initial run was a very tough kind of decision to understand how many to make. The subscriptions through the first year were awesome. Like they came in. I don't want to give out any specific numbers right now. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> but, course, of course. But I'll talk in vague. Like, yeah. So the subscriptions came in. So that was like a good base. I was like, all right, so I have this many subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And that's why I had to take subscriptions early on, months before the mag even came out, right? So I had to right. build up a base of what I was going to gauge how many to make on. And I knew like when people started their subscriptions, the early ones that I wasn't going to be able to get out four issues within that time that they started. So I was just like, you got to trust me. And like, I'll get you, I got the autograph Grant Britain prints to put in the first 300 subscriptions uh -huh. to kind of like be a bonus for like signing up and to like kind of be a part of that, what you're paying for. Right. Cause right. I knew the subscription thing would be off, but um, that's how I used that to gauge. So I had to have a base and then I just took a wild guess and just ordered like double that amount, if not more. Okay. Just because I knew I was like, I think this is a good thing to start on. And then skate shops and then individual sales would add, I would hope, the same amount, if not more. So like it was a wild guess. I just took a wild guess. And then, of course, like it's very expensive to print a very nice oh, magazine. Yeah. So so I kind of like was like, all right, this is the kind of print range, the number I need to stay with it. That was one thing where um, Brendan at Surfer's Journal kind of gave me like a loose budget idea that I could build the business around or whatever. So I kind of use what they produced projected I should spend on the printing and uh -huh. just use that as the base. And so that helped out a lot. So I just kept the order number within that range of a budget that they kind of put in there. Okay. And it worked out. I mean, the first issue sold out and then the second issue didn't sell all the way out yet or whatever, but it's like down. So I like after the second issue, I kind of got a range of where I think I needed to be with the order number or whatever. And it's been pretty okay. good so far. Like I don't want to, especially because the printer sends out all the subscription copies from their building and, and then I go grab all the extra ones and bring them to my house put them in the garage and then my little workstation over here is where I send out all the skate shop and individual copies I package them up here oh so you send out every single magazine that you sell no yeah the printer sends out the subscription so that's why they all go out in one one big bulk so that's like boom all of that right but everybody that orders a single copy on oh Shopify, a single copy right okay yeah single copy that's and skate shops yeah it's still like like it's still a lot like it's it's almost as much as the subscriptions if not more so i send wow. them all out from here so i'm like yeah it's very personalized i say thank you on every single i write <laughs> thank you on every single copy that i like send out because i'm like so appreciative of people spending their hard-earned cash on this stuff for sure so yeah and so what i'm saying is like my garage will be one day it's gonna be filled up with the extra copies and stuff so i gotta like <laughs> make sure i'm ordering the right amount so i'm not like having a big storage issue in the future yeah 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 but the mag still continuously sell obviously people are constantly finding out about the magazine and so when they do they go back and order the back copies and especially this first year i'm like even if i have a few extra copies laying around I'm like they're going to be gone in the future because i know people will want to definitely get that first copy when mm -hmm. people ask about the first copy i'm like hit up this shop list and see if any of these shops still have a copy just sitting there collecting dust that you might be able to get because i have a few copies left myself but maybe they're going to be very expensive one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah somebody wants it or whatever so like try to get them so yeah
So we mentioned this earlier about you deciding to do a quarterly magazine. And I guess uh, based on your previous experience at Skateboarder and Transworld doing like either monthly or bi-monthly issues, what made you decide to do quarterly? And did you decide to do that straight away? Or were you kind of hesitating between doing it bi-monthly or maybe once every yeah. six months or something? Like how did you decide to do it at that pace? Yeah, I think I just, Surfer's Journal, they're bi-monthly now, but I think when they started out, they were quarterly. Okay. And so I think I, I think I just took that into account right away. And then I knew I didn't want to go bi-monthly. That was too much. And then I, if I would have went less, I don't think I could have brought in enough revenue mm. to kind of like, so it seemed like four was like the perfect number as far as like revenue that you could project of getting for the advertising in the mag would be able to sustain where I could just focus on this and not have another full-time job or whatever so i think four is like i was like that's perfect amount of time in between each issue to kind of i spend like a month shipping out stuff like every day like dealing with that dealing with customer service like i email yeah. every single person back that emails me if their mag got lost in the mail or like has problems with the subscription stuff like mm -hmm. i try to be as you know present for all of that as possible as quickly yeah, as possible hands on yeah so hands on so um Yeah. And then the original, like starting the mag was difficult in the sense that I was like, holy shit, I'm starting from scratch. I have yeah. no photo database. I have nothing. Like I went to Skateboarder and Transworld and they have 30, you know, years each or whatever. Yeah. Like just historical photos, like archives. They had photographers built in. Right. And so like it took a long time at the very beginning. That was one thing. I feel like that was like a big hurdle. It's like hitting up all my photographer friends being like, hey, I'm trying to start a mag. Can you send me photos? Like, I don't care if you posted them on Instagram, as long as they just haven't run anywhere. Will you please just send me as much as you can so that I might not use all of them, but I just need to have a database of photos that I can pull from and get ideas from. Yeah. And yeah. that would help me build some sort of editorial calendar of like who I could do stuff with. Sure. Because there was, you know, at the mags for years, it was like, we don't run this photo because the footage has come out. You can't run the photo because the footage has come out. And so yeah. that whole thing, when I started this mag, I was like, I don't care about that. I need photos, you know? So yeah. it was like, a, it was refreshing to feel free of like, I don't care if you've posted on Instagram, as long as it hadn't been printed anywhere. And I don't care if the footage has come out. Mm -hmm. The mag is going to be celebrating skateboarding and like preserving and archiving skateboarding. So like a photo is going to last forever, you know? whatever so yeah, sure. send me all your photos and it took a while and you know some people are like you're starting a mag what and so they it took a while to kind of get people i knew like as long as i got enough to build a first issue and i'd be able to show people a physical copy then it would be easier to get things going and people would understand like oh this is what he's talking about this is what he's making yeah, yeah. so it's just grown since then and people were very supportive at the very beginning as far as photographers and stuff so cool but it does it does help to show them a physical product of like this is what your photos look like Like when you send them, like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just going back to the print. I was wondering, like, I think you told me the other day that you were printing close to your house. And so what made you decide to print over there rather than, for example, in China, like uh, yeah. some other magazines that you worked at? Or I'm assuming it must be much more expensive. But uh, at the same time, you probably have a lot more control over the quality of the yes. products and everything. So, so, yeah, what made you decide on uh, printing yeah, close so to your house? When I was talking to the Surfer's Journal people, they get their stuff printed in China. And then they said it takes like two months because it gets on a boat. It takes so long to get over here. And I was like, well, I definitely can't do that. Like, especially starting this, I can't not be involved, you know, seeing the mag printed or have mm -hmm. it take that long because this is already taking a while to get started. 
Yeah. I did price out some stuff in Canada, which was pretty comparable to what I found when I found it, this place called Color Digit in Costa Mesa. Uh-huh. So one of my friends around here knew someone that did a magazine and they got it printed in Costa Mesa. It was a quarterly magazine that a guy did at his house. His wife was the art director and he did it all himself. And I was like, wow, oh, that's pretty cool. That's like kind of the same situation I'm in or whatever. And he right, gets right. it printed right over here in Costa Mesa. So I was like, I went and talked to them and um, I was about to do the mag the paper quality the same as that one because it was a kind of a nice magazine or whatever but they showed me some examples of other high quality magazines that they printed mm-hmm. and there was this magazine called nobleman actually i'll show it to you oh yeah yeah go ahead this is the magazine I based the like paper quality on or whatever it's like this rich guy martinis <laughs> drinks Fast cars, like a weird, you know, real lifestyle kind of mag. Yeah, yeah, lifestyle. But I was like, this feels amazing. And I was like, if I was able to print a skate mag in this quality paper, I think people would be very excited. So um, sure. Yeah, I would, too. So that's how I base the uh, paper quality and the cover stock is solely that magazine that they made. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, I just want my mag to look like that. Yeah. And so that's how I picked the paper quality with that. And then just knowing that it was close enough that I could go and be on the press check and see this. Because I, I wanted to be very hands-on, especially this first year, you know, like. Yeah, 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 for sure. So that was very important to me. I didn't want to do it out of country, out of state. Like I would pay a little bit more that it was to print here just to like be a part of it. And maybe yeah. obviously down the road, once it, this thing grows and there's like way more, you know, I got to cut costs or something. I would definitely, because I want to keep the paper quality and all that. Yeah. I don't ever want to change that. I would rather just change printers or whatever. Sure. Yeah. No, the quality is amazing. I really like it. It's, uh, it definitely feels like a very high quality premium mag. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced that with a a skate mag before. Like, uh, especially like growing up, I would buy like Thrasher, Transworld or some French uh, or European skateboard magazines, which were all amazing. But like the quality was pretty basic. And and, uh, once I got the first issue of Closer, I was like, wow, okay. Like you can tell this is a much higher quality. And yeah, it's uh, definitely worth uh, paying a bit more. And, and getting that kind of quality it's like more of a collection kind of magazine or exactly I, d- I want these to be things that people save and keep i don't yeah. want it to be something that's thrown in the back of the van and stepped on or whatever like i want this to be something special and it is like every one of these is special in the sense that yeah like i don't know i'm pouring all of everything i have into these to try to make them something that you want to keep so oh you're doing a great job at it yeah it's uh, Thanks, definitely man. worth it yeah i appreciate it quinn thank you And so you're about to release issue number four. In the next few days or weeks, I assume you're going to work a lot on the logistics of sending it out and everything and promoting it perhaps and stuff like that. But like, are you already working on the next one? And are you like working only on issue number five at this point? Or are you already thinking of issues number six, seven, eight? Are you already like thinking, okay, like for issue seven, maybe Eric can interview this guy or or something like, uh, how do you plan this all out? Like, uh, how far ahead do you plan? Exactly. So the like I was saying, the first year was really hard. I'm still in the first year, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Building up to the first issue was very hard to get the content and build a base. So this first year, I've been playing issue by issue. I've mm-hmm. been like with a few things trickled over into the next issue, maybe. But it's been issue by issue. Like I'm building it as I go with ideas because a lot of the stuff is what I can get my hands on as far as photography, and then yeah. you can build a story around a lot of the imagery and stuff. So that was 
been the case for this first year. I'm finishing, I, I have issue four at the printer right now, but issue five is the most that I've had ready so far or whatever for the next issue. Like I feel very comfortable jumping straight into number four five right now and kind of like getting a lot of it done a little bit earlier than I have been with the previous issues as far as getting it to Sammy so he's not working on it within a few weeks to go in the yeah. print. It's like yeah. the idea okay. is like we're making a quarterly magazine. We should I want to get as ahead of schedule as possible so that things are maybe like worked on for a little bit, a bit smoother and yeah. A bit smoother. But the best part of that too is like I feel like Sammy works great under pressure. <laughs> I'm sure he probably doesn't like it, but he cranks out stuff so good and quick. Uh But either way, like I still, I want to get ahead issues by issues and there'll be like little holes in each issue that will have to be filled at the time to kind of be a little bit more timely, whatever. But the thing with the mag is like, it's supposed to be timeless. So it's like, you can plan out a lot of like archival stuff before then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Mm -hmm. right now I'm one issue ahead. I hope to be down the road, be a few issues ahead of anything, but not stressing out issue by issue. And so you mentioned that Sammy told you you should do a bit more digital stuff. And I think you said also on the Nine Club. Oh, fair. That, uh, oh was it fair? Sorry, I thought it was yeah, Sammy. fair, fair, yeah. Right. And I think you said on the Nine Club that uh, you were thinking of potentially in the future doing more digital stuff with Closer. Is that something that will be a bit later still? Like, are you focusing more on the print side still today? Or are you already thinking of uh, like getting more involved in digital projects? Yeah, so digital stuff... Like that's where Farron has been very crucial and instrumental. Is like he's been building out a lot of the uh, putting his interview audio over existing footage from people, oh, nice. which has been awesome. To be able to upload to YouTube. I mean, that's so it's stuff that's already created, and the brands and skaters are like, yeah, you can use that video part and put the audio over it or whatever. So that was like our early introduction of creating video content. Uh-huh. But I definitely want to get into original content that we create from start to finish or whatever very soon. And that mainly has to do with me just getting my wrapping my head around the getting the budget and how much it costs to print this thing, how much it costs to pay everybody for the contributions and stuff. Right. And so as this year kind of progresses and I know for sure which brands are in, how many subscriptions I have and like how much I have to spend, I'll have a better idea of like what I can spend outside of making the print magazine and what I'm able to like spend on video content and original right. video content. So I'm hoping this year to actually work on getting exclusive video stuff specifically for Closer or whatever. So hopefully this year, for sure next year. Okay. And like just get people filming. I would like to have, you know, exclusive video parts. I would like to have little mini documentaries on the side. Yeah, because you, you, you mentioned the day one documentary and uh, yeah, that was a great piece. And uh, I feel like there's definitely room for more of those. I, I assume it must be yeah. difficult to produce them and, and very time consuming and everything but uh yeah. yeah i'd love to see more pieces like that uh for sure yeah i was like stoked because that was uh, mainly joe pease's vision mm-hmm. with how it looked and fell and then mckenzie actually helped mckenzie eisenhower helped build out the storyline of that and then i helped line up the interviews and helped kind of like joe with direction of like what clips should go where or whatever so it mm-hmm. was like a f- super fun process to be a part of and work as a collective on like video stuff outside of the mag or whatever because i thought I was like we're gonna make videos now so i guess i gotta be a producer or whatever and help just guide or direct that stuff Mm -hmm. so it would be fun to like add that element to this as we go 
And so I kind of asked this to all the kind of skate media people that I've had so far, but uh, how do you see the near future, let's say, of uh, skateboarding media? Because you've been in this industry for a long time. You've seen it go through different phases. You've been at different kinds of, as you mentioned, like uh, monthly, bi-monthly, digital, print. Now you're doing this kind of premium quarterly magazine. And so I was wondering, like, where do you see skate media in like maybe five years from now or something? Yeah, I definitely want to see more magazines. I feel like people, even the younger generation, I feel like is more accepting of like physical holding things, you know, like they're into vinyl and cassette tapes are making a comeback and that kind of <laughs> vibe. So I, I feel like I think it'd just be more splintered. Maybe there won't be as many like juggernaut trans world, like Thrasher will still be there or whatever, but there won't be like all these giant ones. It's going to be a lot of more independent, more niche independent yeah. magazines and websites like Village Psychic kills it. I love what they're doing and stuff yeah so yeah the jankums and skate john as far as print and like that's just the u.s or whatever but i just feel like it'll, it'll be more like rad little crews of like print media and digital stuff that is like adding their voice to skateboarding and the more mm -hmm. the better you know It's going to be interesting to see how it all uh, evolves. Yeah, because as you said, like 15 years ago at Skateboarder, they were like, we're going to do only digital now because like people are basically going to consume media only on a tablet from now on or, or a smartphone mm -hmm. or something. But now in 2023, it's kind of, yeah, this weird <laughs> moment where people, like as you said, like younger people are getting magazines or buying vinyls and everything. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Who would have thought that like 15 years ago? Yeah, exactly. And I think just it helps to beyond the young people, like our generation, the older generation of people are nostalgic. We still love things from our childhood. And so that yeah. that plays into it. Like people just want to feel a connection to what they are familiar with and grew up with. And so that's where this kind of like fills that void. Not there's not a void there, but it, for people like to be excited about something yeah, tangible. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's fun. I usually wrap the interviews with uh, this question for me, which is, what's the most valuable lesson you feel that you've learned from skating? I think it should be synonymous with everybody that skateboards is the whole fall down and get the fuck back up and keep <laughs> going or whatever. And I just, the fourth issue that's about to come out, the intro text is titled Get Back Up. Okay. And um, that is the quintessential life lesson from skateboarding is you always fall down and we always get back up. You know, like you keep trying, you keep charging, like you don't let failure keep you down. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. That's a fantastic lesson to live by. And like it For sure. was ingrained so early on, like a lot of people quit skating because they fall down and it hurts or whatever. But if you stick with it, then like you're built different or like you think different or whatever. So yeah, I'm like very, very delayed gratification kind of or yeah. Yeah, working very hard for a long period of time and wait for the success, like, that's a huge thing. And I, I feel like that's been monumental. And I think yeah. just the DIY aspect of skateboarding and punk rock and all that is just like, yeah, don't wait for someone else to fucking hand it to you. Like, go out there and make yeah. it yourself. If you really want something, go make it yourself and be in control of your own destiny for sure. Okay, so let's wrap it up with the friends question. So, oh God, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're all people that we, we mentioned most of these guys uh, throughout our conversation. So, yeah, yeah. So, this first one is actually a funny one from uh, Mike Sinclair. So, he said, Name three other people who work in skateboarding who have southern accents and imitate them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> yeah, Mike Sinclair's from North Carolina, also known as North Oh, that's Kaka. right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so what's funny is I never met him back in the day when I lived in South Carolina, so it's crazy. Uh-huh. Our paths never crossed, even though we were only a few hours away from each other. Yeah. Like, hey, playboy, hey, playboy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I'm imitating him, imitating other people. Hey, playboy. <laughs> um, who else? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I can only think of Mike right now because he asked the question, but I'm only thinking of him. <laughs> Maybe come back to it. I might, one might pop in my head and I can do it. Okay, so this next one is from Farron, Farron Golding, that we mentioned a bunch of times. Yep. So he said, as someone who has worked in skateboarding media for a long time and still rips into their 40s, might I add, if you were putting together a skate company made up of media types, who would write for you? Take your pick from all the writers, designers, photographers, and videographers you can think of. And on top of that question, pick two skaters to be your marquee pros. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, I've already I'm already working with Farron, so I'm going to exclude him from this because he asked the question. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Obviously, Eric Swisher is working for me, so I'll exclude him. He's already yeah. working for me. I've always thought Aaron Meza was an amazing voice and writer, even sure. though he does not. He hates writing. I got <laughs> him to write the Chico interview for um, last issue or whatever, two issues ago. Oh, yeah, ago, he, he like, had a piece in there, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had an was interview. He, interviewed, and st- or, 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 he was interviewed, but um, he wrote the intro for Chico in issue two or whatever. But, okay. And it killed, like, he hates writing, but I think he's a fantastic writer and has, like, a... <laughs> A funny perspective on life or whatever. Like, oh, for he's sure, super yeah. good. Who, uh, Mike Sinclair. Mike Sinclair. He did a few interviews at Skateboarder for like old skaters. And then he's always got great stories to tell. So he's a fantastic writer. He would be in, yeah. in the team for sure or whatever. <laughs> and then what? The two skaters that would represent the brand? Yeah. Wow. That is he a didn't big, say if uh, they needed to be current or past skaters, so to speak. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you want somebody like a John Lucero or Lance Mountain to kind of add to, like, legendary status, but they have the fun side of skating. They don't take themselves too seriously. It's all about fun. Yeah. Maybe something like a Guy Mariano for longevity of, like, creativity and just longevity of never slowing down and never looking a day past their, like, 15th birthday. They still skate, like, he still skates like he's 15 years old. So maybe something like that. Okay. Yeah, he's definitely an alien or something. I don't know how he, how he keeps <laughs> yeah, skating like going that. On it's there. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, something's going on there. Okay, so this next one is from Tobin Yelland. Wow. So he said, what is your favorite memory working for Transworld? I think my favorite memory is just working that like the I was stoked to work at certain I told you earlier, like once I realized and started working there and I realized like I'm working at Transworld Skateboarding Magazine, my first skate fucking magazine that I got. This is incredible. Yeah. So I think just working there was incredible, but I was really stoked on kind of going it was like going to a new school. So there's like already a the staff was there and then I'm coming in as a new person. Uh-huh. They were all so fucking awesome and all skated and all ripped and just were all super super nice and so it was like super cool to work with paul kobrigger brian blakely blair alley keegan callahan luke callahan mike fitz david jeruzic like and you know the best part of that too is desiree hensley matt hensley's wife worked at Transworld. oh no way and so oh. yeah so she worked there for years and she was awesome and it like she was an awesome person and just the idea that we're hanging out with matt hensley's wife and she's super cool <laughs> and we make fun of her and she makes fun of us like it was like super cool so like that was wow. like a really cool cool memory and we're still friends to this day all of us at Transworld. so just working at Transworld was amazing and then making new friends and working with a rad staff of like skaters was super cool yeah 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 absolutely yeah 
Mentioning Matt Hensley, I would love to see an interview of him in Closer. I hope you do that sometime soon. Trust me, I've been begging him, and he I almost had him for the first issue with Eric. Okay. And then something came up, and he wasn't able to do it. But he's so busy. Like, he tours with Flogging Molly so yeah, much, yeah, it's hard to, like, right. lock him down. Okay, but he's, I see. He's, he's on our hit list for sure. It's coming. It's coming. He promised. He said, I promise I'll do it. Just can't hold <laughs> down. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hold you to it, Matt. All right, this next one is an audio one. Greetings, Jamie. This is Kevin from the Look Back Library. I place you in a very special category and that is one of the most ripping skateboard magazine editors to date and it seems as though as you're now at the helm of closer you're skating more than ever please comment on aging and your skateboarding easy awesome i appreciate that i'm flattered by the ripping stuff or whatever (laughs) i think and dude, I always realize too, like skaters respect skating, you know, like you can like make the raddest stuff in the world, but you know, it's like if you skate and like put yourself out there and do that shit, skaters respond to that, which is really cool. But, um, mm-hmm. I think working, doing this from my house, I'm my own boss. Like I have a lot of time to skate. I can skate early in the mornings, come home, work, go skate at night. And my daughters are old enough now they're in high school and stuff. And my wife works. So I'm not having to like help around, like take right. care of the girl as much as I used to like years ago or whatever like I was like really trying to be a present dad and help Mm -hmm. out but now they're so self-sufficient that I get to skate so much more and I'm like I said I I take it way more like I realize time is ticking so I'm trying to get in as much as possible so yeah Yeah. I just try to skate as much as I can and working from home and being my own boss I kind of can weave in and out of work and go skate as, as much as I want so like barring any injuries or whatever I'm like my body feels great and I love I'm still trying to learn stuff now and i'm doing the best skating of my life i think i'm better than i was when i was like 15 and i'm like that's <laughs> fucking crazy i can't yeah. believe that that's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah that's super sick all right this one is from matt price who shot the latest cover for issue number three i believe right the louis lopez one yeah louis and he shot the spanky cover too and what's funny oh, okay. is okay i didn't remember that yeah yeah and he did not shoot the fourth issue cover but he texted me and said hey if you need a cover kyle seedler has a photo i want to show you so he like sourced out the cover for issue four i'm like he's okay. killing it but the cut he's not he didn't even <laughs> shoot it but he helped get it for me it's awesome yeah, yeah, yeah. he made it happen yeah So he said, ask Jamie if he ever got hit in the balls or had his head shaved when he was shooting jackass. I think I think you mentioned getting hit in the balls on the nine club. I think you mentioned that they were like uh, doing that with everybody, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I ever actually got hit, but you always covered your balls when you were yeah. like, if you anytime Jeff Tremaine or any of those guys, even to this day, are standing near each other, they always put their hands cupped <laughs> over their nuts. They could be on Jimmy Kimmel Live, whatever TV show. They're always waiting to get popped in the nuts. Oh wow! But I, yeah, they, that's what I was saying. Like I was always scared to be around them because I thought they would really fuck with you but they didn't beyond the like popping each other in the nuts I never took a brunt of any of the like <laughs> gags or <laughs> fuck around gears. yeah like snakes thrown at you or something yeah, like, yeah 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 I was able to make it out pretty clean stoked on that what about the head shaved did you do something like that 
No, I always had a shaved head when I moved out here. I was going bald early, oh, okay. in, like before I moved out. So I shaved my head. So I had a big head. So they couldn't take it away. I already took. That already, already took done. it from them. <laughs> <laughs> he already took it from them. <laughs> yeah, never, never any dicks drawn on my face or anything. It was good. It was clean. I made it out alive. Okay, this next one is from uh, Mesa, from Aaron Mesa. Awesome. So he said, uh, what are some tips for blowing up a celebrity and which have been some of your favorite celebrity encounters? And he added, he's famous for going up and shouting out celebrities when he sees them. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. I, I didn't know that. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh my God. I tell my friends back home, it's like, I think I have a gift. And they're like, what? I go, I can spot a celebrity, like a low profile celebrity, like somebody <laughs> that's not like super famous, okay. super far away. And so yeah, me and me and Mesa all through the years will text each other like, dude, I just saw so-and-so at the coffee shop. Blah, blah, blah. I saw Polly Shore. I got a picture with Polly Shore. And the question, if he ever texts me and says, I just saw somebody, I said, did you blow them up? Did you let them know? <laughs> that we know and sometimes it's like yeah no or whatever but um the one of the stories i have is like this is not a celebrity but this is where i'm like so i love the x-files in the 90s i loved x-files used to watch it religiously and then in the mid 2000s one of the tv stations was playing repeat reruns of x-files and so i was like watching old episodes and Mm -hmm. then so fast forward a few days later i was in los angeles I was with Meza, I think Meza and Dimitri Eliaskovich from Big Brother fame. We were standing outside of um, Supreme somehow. We were just standing outside of Supreme. It was closed. And okay. this dude walks by with this girl and he's looking in the window. And I look over at him and I'm like, holy shit. And I go, Meza, this guy was on an episode of X-Files. And he was like, what? Really? <laughs> I go, yeah, he's not a known actor. He's just some random dude that was on a random episode of X-Files in the 90s. But it had just recently played. So I was refreshed with it oh yeah i see yeah yeah and so like he's not a name i don't think he's ever been anything since or whatever but and he walked by us and i go hey man what's up i go weren't you on x files and he was like i was yeah and i was like dude that's awesome i just watched that episode the other night he's like oh thanks man and he walked (laughs) away and i was like boom that was awesome and then dimitri goes do you know you just got that guy so laid like you just made him feel like a superstar or whatever (laughs) in front of his girlfriend or whatever yeah yeah, and i was like oh yeah i guess so but yeah those are always the best ones is when you see someone that's not you know an a-list yeah huge celebrity or yeah huge celebrity yeah but that's i loved living in la and having those random encounters with people and being like in line for food or something oh even at um skateboarder days we saw like dustin hoffman and uh lily tomlin were filming a movie right downstairs from us okay and we walked through it and just walked through their set or whatever and said what's up to them. <laughs> and then we went and ate at, uh, we used to eat at this Wahoo's fish taco place right down from work. And uh, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul was oh, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were standing right behind him and I blew him up. I'm like, hey, Bob, I loved you on Mr. Show. Like, and he's like, okay, cool, <laughs> cool. And then another time was um, the main guy from The Office. I mean, no, Office Space, the Mike Judd movie, Office Space. Okay. He was in line in front of us one time and I shouted him out. And it was just, yeah, we would, yeah, sorry. Story, this, for days, we would see people <laughs> yeah, in LA. Yeah, plenty fun. of stories, yeah. <laughs> yeah, super fun. I love it. I used to keep a journal of celebrities that I saw in oh, LA yeah. or whatever. I was like, I was trying to keep a list. I got to dig it out one day and see what I got. Oh, yeah, there. yeah. That would be fun, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, super cool. Okay, this next one is from Blair Alley from Transworld. Yeah, yo. So he said, who's the best skater you've ever seen skate the Transworld Park? 
Dude, we I was like going from a skateboarder and not having a skate park and then going to Transworld. That was one of the best things is having a private skate park at your disposal. So we would get to skate at lunch and that, yep. that really helped my skating get back in the groove too was the consistency of being able to skate sure. the park. And then obviously there would be mornings you'd walk into the skate park at Transworld and Pat Duffy is just having a solo session in the oh, skate wow. park. And I was like, so this is what it's like to work at Transworld. You just walk back here and Pat Duffy's skating yeah. your skate park or Josh Kalis. Josh Kalis is skating the skate park. Wow. Dude, yeah, so we've, there were so many times when there were so many rad sessions, and then we would film team edits back there. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, ripping. I would say, like, this is a kind of, Keegan Callahan, the art director for Transworld Skateboarding, one of the gnarliest skaters ever that I've ever skated with. He could, like, kickflip backside tail slide the bump to box. He could backside nose blunt it. Yeah, so that's, I think that's where Blair was leading it to, is Keegan Callahan. Okay, okay. And his brother, Luke Callahan, who switched tray flip the double set, and then as he's riding away, just rode out of the park and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> like mic drop and just yeah, yeah, mic drop. He switched three sixty flip the double set in the park. Have fun, guys! I just killed everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have fun with your stupid tricks. I just crushed it. Okay, let's see. This is another audio one. What's up, Jamie? This is Abe from Miami. Wanted to ask you, who are your top five favorite skaters, past and present, and what is your favorite curb spot? Ooh, what's up, Abe? Best curb skater in the world, Abe He Bethel. definitely is, yeah. Man, top five all time. I could use, like, Nottis, Gons, Neil Blender, Mike Carroll. God, there's so fucking many. And it's like a kind of a revolving list, but those guys are fucking up there. Yeah. Guy Mariano, Mike Carroll. Yeah, Nottis, Gons, Neil Blender's a pretty solid, solid list of skaters. That's a good list, yeah. And favorite curves, the Costco curbs are really fun. You see them on Instagram all the time. Like those long double-sided curbs are, oh, every time I go there, I want I try to like crook the whole like 30 foot thing because it's like the craziest feeling in the world. Yeah. Is that the spot that you skated with uh, Jeremy when he came to California or is that a different one? Yeah. Yeah. The first spot we skated was that yeah because there was another one uh, like a parking lot yeah yeah big parking lot so it's a cost so you get to go early in the morning before the cars fill up the parking lot right right yeah so i'll drive up to la at like seven in the morning and meet those guys and skate till about 10 is when all the cars just it's like the tide comes in and all yeah, the cars yeah, yeah. Start filling up the spots okay that spot's amazing yep Okay, this next one is from Burnett, Michael Burnett. Awesome. So he said, who is the greatest skater with the most promise who, for whatever reason, never went on to a big pro career? Fuck. That's a hard one. I was trying to think yeah. of people, but it's, uh, yeah, it's difficult. So there's probably a lot that I'm not thinking of right now, but someone that pops in my head, someone that I was super stoked on was Trainwreck. Alex Gall, Trainwreck. Mm -hmm. He seemed destined to be one of the gnarliest dudes ever, yeah. skaters or whatever, but and just did not last or whatever, that one video part. But I remember seeing his ads and he just looked so fucking raw and so fucking sick at that time. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I would just go with somebody like him, but I'm sure there mm -hmm. might be, there's a lot of other options that I'm not thinking of right now, but yeah. Trainwreck. Would have liked okay. to see more of Trainwreck and what he could have done for sure. Okay, this one is from, oh yeah, well we mentioned him at the beginning, Mike Ballard. Yeah. 
So he said, I still feel really bad about that time I shot a 16-penny framing <laughs> nail through Jamie's hand, literally crucified his hand with a nail gun during a building session at the first Barrett Park. I still have nightmares about that. Ask Jamie <laughs> to tell that story. And then he said also, what advice would Jamie give to someone trying to get into the skate scene as far as being in the editorial photography side behind the scenes? Boom. Two separate questions, but uh, yeah, 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 so, yeah. So, like, what about this story of uh, getting a nail through your hand? That, that's pretty gnarly, yeah. It's so fucking gnarly. So, yeah, so Ballard, again, like, he's very, he's builds a lot of stuff. So, I told you we built the America Pit article. We built all the ramps. That uh-huh. was all Ballard and Jai Tanju, and then I helped. And so, Barra got Ballard to build his first indoor skate park, which was like out in the valley. Before the Barracks, it was Before like the barracks, a DBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was Steve Barra's, but it was like a DBS, Steve Barra skate park. Right, right, yeah. And so, this is one of the times where I'm just hanging out with Ballard. If we were going out there, we're helping build this skate park and i'm holding up like some two by fours or whatever like you know platform of some sort and i'm holding it with my hands very close to my face like they're like parallel with my eye you know like i'm holding something up okay he's using a nail gun and popping through these things and he's and one of them ricochets and goes off and it goes through my hand right here in between my finger and my thumb it goes through that it's sticking through and that part of my hand was right near my eye like it if it didn't hit my hand it could have went into my eye or the side of my face oh my god wow and so he sticks it in there it sticks in there and i'm like ah and so i pull out the nail like instinctually just pull it out okay like, oh yeah. my god so for, it didn't really hurt it was more shock it yeah because it's through like the fatty part yeah, yeah, so yeah. A, na- a nail is going through my hand oh my god i pull it out and I'm freaking out. And so uh, Steve Barra was there and Steve took me to the emergency room. Okay. It wasn't like bleeding profusely or anything, but this kind of goes into um, a celebrity sighting. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Steve Barra takes me to the uh, emergency room close right. by or whatever. And it's like a very small room and I'm, you know, it's not too bad, but I just wanted to get it disinfected and maybe yeah, find well, yeah. it stitches or something. Sure. And then um, I'm sitting there and I look over and I notice this guy and I'm like, that's Robert Townsend. He's like a comedian from like the late 80s, early 90s. And he made this movie called Hollywood Shuffle. His name rings a bell, but yeah. Yeah, look him, look him up after this. Like he didn't have like a crazy career, but when I was a kid, he was kind of a big deal. Okay. So again, he's not like a super big person, but I was like, I remember watching Hollywood Shuffle as a kid and loving it. There was like so many quotes from that movie. Okay. And I'm like sitting in there in an emergency room and I'm, and I blow him up. I'm like, hey, Robert <laughs> Townsend, I love your comedy or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, this is awkward to see you in an emergency room. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm getting something checked out. I was like, okay. Yeah, so that was a crazy <laughs> day because, yeah, Ballard almost blinded me or probably yeah. put a nail in my brain. But it yeah. was a total accident. But thankful my hand was in the way of my head. Did it heal okay? Like, did it kind of... Uh, yeah. Did you have to get stitches and everything? or? Yeah, no. I think they just disinfected it and put, like, a Band-Aid over it or something because it was... Okay. Yeah, it, just, it went seriously through... It didn't go through the middle it went through this part of the hand yeah thank god it was there and not in like in the middle of the palm or something that yeah, would yeah, have been way gnarlier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so i feel like in one of the issues of skateboarder there's in the masthead it says intern jamie nail through the hand owens and that's, what that re- <laughs> that's the reference to that okay okay wow. trying to give me the train wreck uh, nickname <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah well, that's pretty gnarly Fuck, yeah, that, yeah that must have been horrible yeah it was a fun it was a wild experience or whatever 
And so, so yeah, the second question was like about um, advice that you would give to someone who would want to get into the skate scene in the like more editorial or photography side. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different like there's less outlets or whatever, I guess, these days than it used to be when I first came up. But yeah, you just you want to show people what you got. Like, I feel bad for a lot of photographers that want to come out because there's already a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of seats at the table, as you would say, or whatever with photography. Yeah. There's a set amount of obviously editorial pages in magazines and or ads or whatever. But mm -hmm. and there's already established photographers that it's really kind of hard to like work your way in. Yeah. Even when photographers are pretty good and they send you photos, it's just kind of maybe of their friends or like local people. And it's like, I can't use these because, you know, they're just not the right skaters for right now or whatever. But um, sure. I would almost say start your own thing, like maybe a zine or a website where you can like promote your photography and or writing. I feel like there's people out there yeah, just doing their own thing. And like like Eric Swisher did that, right? Like he created yep. his own website and started his own and slowly got his way into interviewing people. Right. And yeah. then you build up, you know, an audience or you build up, you know, content that people can check out. Yeah. And that's yeah. the way that's the best way to probably like get into like working in editorial side of skating, whether photography or writing mm -hmm. yeah try to start doing your own thing and promoting yourself in that fashion okay i have a few last ones let's see this one is another audio one what's up jamie it's sammy got a couple of music questions for you because i know you're a big music guy what's the most memorable show you've ever been to also curious what's a bucket list band that you've always wanted to go see all right see ya Awesome. Those are great questions. Yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about like uh, you being in the punk band. You, you did mention it on the Nine Club and uh, yeah. I think it was called Prevail, right? Was that the name of the band? Yeah. And we have our music on bandcamp.com now. Hardcore Prevail HC maybe is how it's. Okay. Um, yeah. You can check it out. I'll go check it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two answers for the most memorable show. So I would say the 90s in general, going to see live hardcore shows in the 90s when we were in a band and playing with bands and festivals and stuff mm -hmm. was incredible. And looking back at it now through the years of like these bands were your favorite bands. They were on the level of like I'd say like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, whatever. They were like they were on that level, but they were just hardcore punk bands that you loved and you could go see them for five dollars or less or a couple of bucks and go see them in a small in somebody's living room somebody's basement some like cafe mm -hmm. and you could stand face to face with them and hear their music and that every one of those shows was an incredible experience to like be a part of and just feel like you're in this little tiny bubble of this world that's so impactful and powerful to you yeah But I would say one of the best shows, bigger concerts that I've ever been to was Nick Cave. Oh, a few years. Nice. Yeah, yeah, dude, I wasn't a Nick Cave fan at all growing up or whatever and got into him like way later. Uh-huh got into his music and like realized that he like made all this like dark emotional emo kind of like you know gothic music and i was like yeah. oh, i love this <laughs> and he went on tour and he played in san diego and it was absolutely incredible we had seats up in the upper mezzanine and um we saw people kind of like standing up it was all seats you know like a theater but people were standing up at the front row and stuff and i was like i want to go get closer to this i want to be i can't my eyesight's kind of bad I was like i can't i hate being this far away 
Mm-hmm. And so we made our way down and somehow got past security guards and got into the pit or whatever that was like kind of formed in front of him. And okay. I was like, man, this is incredible watching a live performer, like somebody this kind of big, really close to you. Mm-hmm. And um, during the concert, he goes, everybody in this front row, get on stage. And it was like, <laughs> holy crap, really? So he got everybody on stage. And what was funny is I stayed in the back of that crowd because I was like, everybody on stage. So he got everybody on stage and then he made his way back. Back to the front of the stage and then it cleared out the front so i was standing directly in front of him with a few other people okay and i was like holy and he's like just performing and all these people are on stage and he's seriously face to face with me and i'm filming with my iphone right <laughs> in his face and he's singing to the crowd and he goes and one of the lyrics in the song is something like the devil or something. And he and he singing and he goes the blah 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 the devil and he points directly at me and goes with an iPhone in his hand and I'm oh. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like I just got made fun of by Nick Cave but he seriously was like a foot away from me and I was like holy shit and then he proceeded to step past us and he walked on top of the seats all the way out to the middle of the regular crowd and sang his song from the middle and i was like this is mind-blowing this is (laughs) insane what performer like puts the people on the stage walks through the crowd like jesus like or whatever and just let i was just like holy shit (laughs) that was incredible like i still trip out to this day and like it's hard to like tell like not a lot of people listen to nick cave or whatever my friends or whatever but yeah that was one of the craziest shows i've ever been to in my life like as far as that was an experience like that wasn't looks like it yeah yeah, because you, you can go see people at the Hollywood Bowl or whatever, and it's just like you're super far away. That you can barely see them yeah. watching the monitors. I was like, it's I was not sitting the same there touching. Experience. Yeah, I was like touching the dude. I was like touching his leg. I was like, I can touch his leg. He's right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so that was definitely one of the raddest ones. But I always go back to the 90s hardcore too. Like every one of those shows was amazing to be able to be that close and have an experience. It was like awesome. Yeah. That was the two questions, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, what was the second one? Was it, um, oh, the bucket list band oh. you've always wanted to go see? Yeah. Fuck. I would say I love The Cure, and they're actually coming oh. on tour. They're coming out here this year to the Hollywood Bowl. And I'm like, I want to go see them, but the Hollywood Bowl kind of sucks if you don't get up yeah. close or whatever. But I've loved them forever and never saw them. Okay. But the Sisters of Mercy are coming to play uh, the Palladium in May, and I got tickets for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge, as you can tell, I'm kind of goth. I like a lot of goth <laughs> music. <laughs> I like, I'm going to go see the Sisters of Mercy, and they're one of my really, one of my all-time favorite bands. But the bad thing about that is every review I've read is like, they suck live. They fucking are awful. Like, they fucking, oh, they're terrible. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, I'm still going to go see it. I got to say, I saw the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, yeah. Might as go check it out. And yeah. Exactly. Worst case scenario, it's not that great. But uh, I'm yeah. sure it will still be fun to see them live. And... Exactly. My uh, eighth grade school photo in the yearbook, I'm wearing a Sisters of Mercy t-shirt. So I'm very excited. <laughs> cool. So like close that circle, that loop. Okay, this next one is from... So this guy is Johannes Schön. He's uh, one of the guys behind Pocket Skate Mag. Uh, I just released an interview with uh, him and his friend and partner, uh, Bernie, but it's uh, Florian. Anyway, Mm. so Johannes, uh, he's the guy more in in the marketing kind of side. Uh, Well, he does a lot of shit for Pocket, but... uh, Anyways, Johannes said, In Europe, there are more than 10 active skateboard print magazines. Yeah. Why do you think there are many more magazines in Europe than there are in the States? Yeah, I don't I don't know why. Maybe people were scared to like I don't know. Like that's what I'm saying. I hope there's more. I hope more pop up. Mm-hmm. 
and join the club for sure. Like, yeah, it's, it's impressive to see what Pocket Mag is doing and all the other mags, Solo, you know, Free, Gray, yep. Vague, all of them. Like, it's super cool to see that many print mags or whatever. Maybe they just understood earlier on how important print is, maybe. I don't know. Mm. And hopefully we see more pop up in the U.S. for sure. Sure, yeah. But also, I think a lot of these magazines are not monthly or bi-monthly. Some of them are and stuff, but uh, like, for yeah. example, Pocket, they do like two books a year or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, like other magazines, they'll do pretty much a quarterly or something. But like not many of them are still... I think, for example, in France, there's just one kind of last monthly magazine. It's called Sugar. Yeah, Sugar's still around. Okay. It's still running and uh, it's still monthly. But like, uh, yeah, I don't think there's many, many other ones that are still like in that kind of old format of monthly issues. Yeah, that's it's an insane thing to be monthly, whatever. That's why it's impressive. Like Thrasher just pumping them out like it's crazy though. Like yeah. that whole... I I can't do that anymore. I'm like, oh man, I can't do monthly ever again. I gotta gotta take my time. I'm old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. And uh, if I were to do a magazine, I would definitely not do a monthly one. Yeah, that must be yeah, pretty no. hectic. But I'm stoked that like, Pocket Mag, what they do with their books and their like yeah. video content, it's really impressive. They're crushing it too. That's awesome. Okay, this one is from Tim Olson, Belgun Gary on Instagram. Belgun Gary. <laughs> So he said, who's on your two dream sessions? One session as a photographer, the other as a skater. Wow. So I would go back to the, as a skater, it would be those top five skaters, the guy, Mike Carroll, Gans, Nanas, Neil. That would be pretty iconic. But I would say recently in the past year, being able to skate with uh, Skate Curves with Lance Mountain and John Lucero, two of the originators of the Slappy. Yeah. That's been insane. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. believe that I'm like, I've known those guys for a long time and got to shoot photos and stuff of them. But actually, like, doing Slappies nowadays and skating eating slappy yeah. curves with those like yeah 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 i had to pull myself back and go this is fucking awesome like this is so fucking cool like yeah so that's those are dream sessions that are actually happening and i actually got to do so that's pretty fucking cool and then um what's the dream session of um shooting mm-hmm I guess you would say it'd be cool to like shoot Neil Blender if Neil Blender, you know, skated. That would be a pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. Or even a Nottis photo. Even just shooting Nottis down at the uh, the Santa Monica curbs. Like oh, even, yeah. He lives close to that, right? He still lives in that house that's like from Wheels of Fire and stuff like that right there. So wow. it's like, I think getting a cool shot of him, even if he's just pushing, like, I don't even know if he like really yeah. skates anymore of any level of that, but mm-hmm. that would be incredible to be able to document and just have a photo of but i would say too recently i got to shoot last summer so that back cover of issue three of alva on the back of a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever so that's like again a dream session that kind of happened was that was just one of my best friends i grew up with evan came out to california for to stay with me for like a week and then i was like hey i'm going to go shoot lance mountain for a photo for the mag mm-hmm. and lance was like well i'm going to go skate a pool with alva if you guys want to come to that so it was just me my friend evan alva Lance and then Ozzy Osband who like helped set up the pool okay. and his friend. So it was just the six of us having a session in a backyard Southern California pool. Me and my friend Evan were like, we're skating a pool with Lance Mountain and Tony Alva. <laughs> this is fucking insane dude like yeah. it wasn't like some big thing with a whole bunch of random people around or whatever it was like just us yeah yeah and i was like are you stoked on it he goes hell yeah i'm like i was like <laughs> alva's not even part of our generation but we understand alva is alva yeah 
yeah. and Lance is part of our generation of kids growing up. So it was just like, this is incredible. So yeah, that's a bucket list moment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Another long answer. I'm sorry. That was no, no, no. That's that's great. No, no. Been having these bucket lists for this, you know, recently, and so they're very fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that must be yeah, pretty insane. Yeah, shooting photos of those guys and being able to have a magazine to put the photos in it feels awesome. Okay, I have two last ones. Okay. Hello, Jamie. How's it going? My question for the podcast is what's the most ridiculous thing that a photographer ever tried to expense on an expense report from a trip? <laughs> and what was the uh, surrounding context of that thing, if anything comes to mind? Is that Mary? Yeah, Jonathan Mary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obviously going to be Jonathan Mary. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh, that's all. Awesome. I love Jonathan. Fuck, what did he... I cannot remember specifically anything, but I just, I want to shout out Jonathan Marion for being one of the raddest people I've ever met <laughs> in skateboarding, one of my best friends, one of the best photographers, yeah, and one of the most creative and self-reliant photographers I ever worked with. Mm -hmm. He did amazing trips, dude. He set up all of the Amazon trip for skateboarder, the Trans-Siberian right, yeah. uh, trips, all that. That's all Marion. Like, dude, he just always wanted to do something different, go somewhere different. Things out of the box kind Kind of, yeah. yeah, so out of the box. So I, he definitely probably put in some crazy expenses in the uh, to get paid back for, but I never cared or whatever as long as <laughs> he did the articles and got those amazing trips. Oh, the Vietnam trip where they took motorcycles. Man, he crushed it. So yeah. he probably had some crazy shit slid into his expenses, and I never questioned any of it. Just, yes, pay this man back. He's yeah, so Whatever valued. he needs. Whatever he needs, we need him going on these trips. He can buy whatever he wants on these keep trips. Keep him happy. Expensive. Yeah, keep him happy. <laughs> Amazing. That's not a great answer, but I just wanted, yeah. No, no, that's good. Mary's the best. Okay, we can wrap it up with uh, this last question from Eric, Eric Swisher. Yes, the man. So he said, are there any photos published from early on in your photography career that you really don't like now? Anything specific? And what is a classic skate photo that you wish you'd shot? Ooh. Definitely my first photo. So the first photo I have published with my name on it was the Reynolds cover shot for Frontside Flip on Wilshire 15. But I don't oh. take claim for that because I feel like that's a Ballard. Ballard set that whole situation up. Yeah, I think you told that on the Nine Club, I, I believe. Yeah, so I, I won't go into that. But yeah, so I credit Ballard. That's a Ballard photo, even though my name was on it. I pushed the trigger, but that wasn't. Yeah. So my first real photo that I got published in Skateboarder was a Matt Ball who was like an am for a birdhouse had a oh, yeah. hot and he had a frontside feeble at this spot. And I'm, I hate that photo now because I see the way I set up my flashes. Like one of my flashes was like way too low and it cast like a big old shadow across the bottom of the photo or whatever. Um, okay. And I'm like, so bummed now, like looking back at that, I'm like, I can't believe, I mean, I was stoked to just have a photo published and yeah. have my first legitimate solo photo that I set up and shot and everything published. But yeah, definitely not proud of that first one for sure okay and then like a dream photo that i wish i had shot is what he asked for the second one right yeah yeah dang you know what one was super cool it's one of my favorite covers was shot for skateboarder was the spike jones guy mariano kickflip on the like white wall with the like red arrow going up it I got to be at that session. Ballard set that session up and Spike Jones came in and shot the photo. I'll pull that one up for you. Yeah, because I don't remember that, that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's iconic. Like, this is when Guy Mariano was, like, kind of, like, super low profile, wasn't having a lot of coverage or whatever. Is it, like, on a kind of a bank over a rail or something? Or No, it's it's a straight white wall. It's a seamless in, the, like, a photo studio, so it's just a white transition oh, wall. Oh, okay, okay, okay. One of those deals, but to help see the transition, Ballard put, like, this red arrow going up it. Okay. So it kind of, like, graphically looks cool, too, to have the red arrow going up. And uh, Guy Mariano came in, he was just doing backside ollies on it, and shot that i think they were going to be cool with that being the cover just a backside ollie of guy at this like studio shot by spike jones okay but guy kept skating and then he did a kickflip fakie on it which was fucking insane because that transition's so steep and it's really hard to see okay anyway i wish i would that would have been cool to shoot that photo of guy mariano at that time okay okay that's a pretty iconic photo to me and as part of my early career at skateboarder that i got to witness but mm-hmm. see so that could be it yeah well let's wrap it up here thank you so much jamie Thank you so much for your time, Quentin. I appreciate it. I'm sorry if I had long-winded answers. No, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your stories. And yeah, uh, yeah long live closer. And I look forward to uh, issue number four. I, I'll probably get my hands on it in a couple of weeks or something, or maybe a bit more. But uh, yeah. yeah, keep doing it because it's amazing. And yeah, I hope it keeps going for a long time. Yeah, I appreciate your supporting it, man. It means a lot to me. And yeah, I appreciate this too. This helps in every way. And it was fun to talk to you. Oh, yeah. And one more thing, Quentin, before I go, I definitely wanted to say thank you to my wife, who has been so supportive and helpful through this whole process of like starting the mag up. And like, it's a big, big challenge to do something like this at this time in our life. And um, yeah, it's been amazing to have her support and love. And yeah, love you, babe. Thanks, Quentin. That's it for my conversation with Jamie. Follow him on Instagram at Jamie Owens, J-A-I-M-E-O-W-E-N-S. Follow Closer at Closer Skateboarding. Head over to closerskateboarding.com to subscribe to the mag, buy some merch or one of the first four issues from this last year. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.